Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to a Wednesday, July 12th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Jam-packed Wednesday edition here on the program. It's Wednesday, so for the daily subscribers you know it's the full ride with matt green philly university of north georgia alumni matt green talking all things college football we did uh, a lot of deep dives into um what the college football playoffs looking like who are going to make the who is going to make that jump who's the best bet why that might be texas a&m with the current odds um tennessee and lsu in a similar spot in the sec in that tier two um with the second best tier two odds in uh the sec to win the cfp uh odds of georgia going uh back to back to back um where bama stands being the number two favorite and what that means why usc and clemson are in a similar spot and uh who the next northwestern coach is going to be and what that situation looks like and all that good stuff so um that's the the main event here college football full ride here with matt green we also got former uga quarterback and current 680 the fan host uh hudson mason of the locker room and we talked all things georgia bobo his career um what george is going to look like this year weaknesses for georgia whether or not he would have loved to play in josh heupel's offense tennessee what he thinks about where the vols are headed um all that and more coming up with Hudson. Uh, he was great. So I appreciate Hudson making the time as well. We've also got Kelly Quinlan. Yeah, it's just a Georgia show, I guess. Uh, Georgia Tech, uh, all Georgia Tech football with Kelly Quinlan on from Jackets Online to talk about uh, the transition from the Jeff Collins to Brent Key era, uh, where they're at this recruiting bump, um, who the quarterback one is going to be this fall in Atlanta, what their schedule looks like. All that and more coming up with Kelly, and he was awesome as well. So jam, jam-packed uh, college football show for you guys today. Matt Green, full ride, national college football. We got Georgia, Tennessee with Hudson Mason, and Georgia Tech with uh, Kelly Quinlan. So a uh, lot, of, lot of fun here on today's program. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. As always, if you are already a subscriber to this very show, you know what I'm about to say. Leave this show 
a five-star rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if that is indeed how you are listening. It helps other people find the show, and it helps this very show continue to grow. So I would appreciate if you hit that pause button right now and take care of that. It's like five seconds, and it helps the show. So if you could do that, that would be great. Um, if you're not a subscriber and this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. Uh, on Wednesdays, we do college football and sometimes have awesome guests like uh, Kelly and Hudson. So uh, if you like college football, this is the show for you. So make sure you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode here on the program. And as always, if you want to get in touch with the show or have a question, college football question for Matt or myself, go to uh, email us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on YouTube, YouTube sh- channel, bumping, youtube.com slash chasethomaspodcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, and then, of course, check out the new website. New website is off and running, looks great. Love it. Chasethomaspodcast.com. Um, all the information about the show you would uh, need over there on chasethomaspodcast.com. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the A for mentioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. Eight balls drafted uh, this week. It's MLB Draft Week, and the balls in there in the top five in most. Uh, current most program players drafted um this cycle and it's just it's become the norm uh here on everything school hq uh with tennessee building the the behemoth that is tennessee baseball but that is neither here nor there it is a college football show it's the full ride it's you're hearing this on a wednesday morning so you know what that means in the off season fellow university of north georgia alumni matt green down there in tequila georgia is here matt good evening sir how are you Good evening, sir. It is it is good to be back with you here uh, on our on our regularly regularly scheduled day. Um, you know, just trying to watch. Just try, I'm right now. I'm enjoying the the best uh, All Star game in professional sports, which is the MLB All Star game. And I do you want to? Is this a hot take? Do you want me to tell you why this is the best? I mean, go for it. I don't think it, I can't. You can't really have a hot All Star game take, can you? You it's can't. Exhibition. You okay. can't play baseball half speed. Like a pitcher can't, he's not going to be on the mound just like throwing softballs up to mm. the batter. He's going to be throwing 99 because he's facing one of the best guy, best hitters in the game. And a bat and a hitter on the other side, it's like you can't just like halfway hit, you know, like you have to hit and you're trying to hit bombs off the best pitchers in the league. So it's like you just have to, to play baseball, you just have to be playing at maximum capacity. Like, Football, did they even have a Pro Bowl this past year? Were they just doing all the games, dodgeball and stuff? Like, because football, it's like, if you're not hitting, it's like, it became unwatchable. It was basically flag football. And if someone does rock somebody, it's kind of like, whoa, take it easy, man. This is the Pro Bowl. Um, And then basketball, NBA is just the worst by far, right? Like, it sucks because I get excited by the NBA All-Star game, too. Because, like, especially picking teams, like, right before it starts, like, the whole, like, drama, like, the buildup is like, oh, I'm kind of excited to see this squad. These squads play each other. And then you're, like, two minutes in, you're like, oh, yeah, nobody's going to play defense. It's just going to be fast uh, uh glorified layup line i think is what uh jalen brown called it is is pretty terrible 
But baseball, National League, finally got a dub for like the first time in like eight years or something. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's an all star game. It's not much to get excited about, but it's the it's the best one. It's just a break for me. My wife and I watched Frasier, Red, for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> we watched The Boys, which gets more bonkers by the week. We saw Joyride in theaters yesterday. Very funny. Highly recommend. Um, yeah, I don't the, know. This isn't the boys isn't new, right? It, no. You just catching up to like where it was. Yeah, I mean okay. it's it's yeah, great show. So you watch it too? Yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, I'm waiting for the new season, man. I don't know when it's coming out. I mean, the boys is just it, it's a it's banger after banger every week where you're just like I think I've seen the worst of it, and you're like, nope, we're going. And I'm to not a level. huge Marvel like superhero guy either, so it's yeah. it's a it's a good one for sure. Yeah, I I would agree. And I also am just glad that we're back to a regular scheduled programming. I, I think I've written about this before. And I don't know if you're like this, Matt, but for me, like last week is my worst kind of week because I am a absolute creature of habit to the nth degree. And I love my calendar. I love my schedule. I love my outlines. I love my organization. And with a Tuesday holiday, and everything else that was going on last week was driving me mad because I'm rescheduling, I'm moving stuff around, trying to figure out what to, I can't stand it. I can't stand things being off schedule. I can't stand not having my day go as I intend them to go or organize them. It drives me nuts. I, it's a huge thing. It's like why vacations are so hard for me. Vacations are maybe one of the hardest things for me to do is it's really, really hard for me to enjoy vacation because I am fighting with every part of my being not to be productive and not to do what I want to do each and every day. I, I'm, I'm routine to an uh, to a really, really ridiculous degree. Hey, that works for you, man. You know, yeah. I probably should be more that way. But um, no, I can. It's been a while since we just went on a vacation, but just to, to go somewhere. But uh, yeah, I can vacation. I have no problem vacationing <laughs> and relaxing at a uh, by the beach or something. Yeah. Well, we have all the time in the world for that, Matt Green. On this very program, we have to talk about, we don't have to, we get to talk about college football, specifically how many days remaining until the college football season returns, Matt Green. When you say these numbers, it gets crazier and crazier that we're this close, but how many days are we? We are, we are getting there, sir. We are 52 days till college Mm. football season, and uh, I got a stat for you for the number 52 that would be the total touchdowns responsible for by our Heisman Trophy winner from a year ago, Caleb Williams. Mm. 52 touchdowns last season. Uh, Austin Reed of Western Kentucky, second uh, with 48. Also Clayton Toon, Drake May, Bo Nix up there. But uh, yeah, 52 touchdowns. Who knows? Is Caleb Williams two-time Heisman winner? Is he going to do it? I don't. I like I my instinct is no. But yeah, I just don't think so because I think it requires you and we'll get into this in our show as folks see with the headline. I think one of the things about the Heisman now and that I think kicks some very deserving people out of the the final four conversation is where your team ends up. Like are you in the playoff chase still? And if USC slips up twice, in the regular season, I don't think he's in the Heisman conversation anymore because I think it's so dependent now 
on where your team is. Like, who was the last but think Heisman about winner? What they did last year. I mean, what they were two lost or a one lost team. That they lost were. The they had the. If they win the Pac-12, Pac-12 they're in the CFP. Like that's if but they, they take, lost. So they, he, it's not like he even had. But like he got hurt. Remember? Or, he got he hurt. Played in that game. But he played hurt, and it was like yeah. part of the narrative. Like there's just so many competing factors in winning the Heisman one time, and you need a lot to go your way. You need the narrative to go your way. There will be shinier toys this year. Caleb Williams, I think, will be awesome. I think he is. Like, I'd be surprised if he's not one of the final four um, in New York. But if I had to pick Caleb Williams or the field, I would still go the field. I mean, people are really. I, I just like. I if Carson Beck, I think, will be there. I think if Joe Milton has a, I'm not. I don't think Joe Milton's going to make that uh, conversation. But there are a lot of other players around the country that like. You could see, like, Jordan Travis, if Florida State's right there in the Cotola, if Clemson goes undefeated and just bounces back with Garrett Riley and company, Kate Klubnick or Will Shipley is going to be there. There's just going to be a lot of good candidates because I think there are a, a lot of different guys who fit that narrative build um, this year. I mean, Marvin Harrison, we'll see what happens with uh, Ohio State. Blake Corum, a healthy Blake Corum. Like, Michigan should steamroll to undefeated um in the regular season up until the game against Ohio State. I think Blake Corum was in that final category before he got injured in the Illinois game. So my hey, point I didn't is I just Brock Bowers over there. Well, I just, he's a tight end. I just I'm gonna stick away. I stay away from tight ends. Until he breaks that barrier, I'm just gonna stay away from picking a tight end to win the Heisman or have a realistic shot at winning the Heisman. I just if you were pitting anybody against Georgia picking anybody for Georgia right now, it's still just I would lean Carson back. But um I don't know. I just think there are a lot of interesting cases around the country right now that I could see their teams being in the thick of things, being in the college football playoff, controlling their college football playoff destiny in late November. And it'll just help the narrative. It's a narrative award. It's production. It's where your team is. Like you have three losses. You could be the best player in the country. It just doesn't matter. You're X'd out. So if USC's defense really falls off a cliff with their turnover luck going the other way this year, because they had just insane turnover luck and the defense is worse. And that costs USC a couple more games this year. Oregon's better. Utah's better. Washington's better. Um, there's just more paths, I think, to Caleb Williams not getting there than uh, than a year ago. But it could be wrong. Drake May I mean, also stats, in the face. Stats is also the biggest thing, too. And, you know, when you're a dual threat guy like Caleb Williams, like you're, he's going to put up huge stats. Like you've seen mm. the Lamar Jackson type of guy, team go 9-4, and four, and his stats are just stupid that you just – have to give him the award. So mm. what's one thing I thought is interesting, you got to go back to 2016 and 2017, the last time Lincoln Riley had a, a full-time starter, the same guy, two years in a row. Hmm. Like it's, you had, he, like he, he had Caleb Williams two years in a row at Oklahoma yeah. USC, but it's like you had one year of Kyler, one year of Jalen Hurts, uh, Spencer Rattler lost the job his second year. It's like, so seeing a guy, we haven't seen a guy who was a Heisman finalist or won the award for Lincoln Riley actually come back the following year. So if there's anyone that has a chance to do it, like Lincoln Riley, whatever you're putting the odds on Lincoln Riley's quarterback, like when you see the people's rankings, they're like whoever wins the Bama job or something, like mm-hmm. is number eight on their list. Like they don't even know who the person is yet. Like before you're even putting the odds out, like, Lincoln Riley's quarterback's got to be like top four uh, on the on the Heisman odds list. Yeah, I mean it's not a it's not a bad bet. I mean I just I don't know I would still lean the field at this point. I think uh, 
And we'll get into why USC, I think I might sell on Caleb Williams going back to back in the Heisman chase. But, but yeah, uh, so that's, yeah. that's our 52 days. Do you have a, uh, do you have a best number 52 for, for Tennessee? No, there's like none. Like I looked this up before you recorded. There's literally not one notable number 52 in Tennessee history. It's not a common number. And I was thinking about it. And I'm like, there's not a lot of 52s. Who's the 52 for Georgia? Nothing comes to mind either. Yeah. The best one I was thinking probably a Marlo Herrera. Um, Sure. Line, you know, <laughs> early 20 teens. He was he was good. Hey, he was like a second, third team SEC type of player. But um, I have no uh, recollection of Tyler this guy. Clark. You remember Marlo Herrera? He was no. um, number 52, obviously. But it was like 20. He was like a freshman, I think, on that 2012 team. And then he and uh, Rameek Wilson were like the the middle linebackers for like a couple years for Georgia. Marlo Herrera, he was a dog for sure. Is that a pun? No, he just had that vibe, that middle linebacker, like that's the kind of the kind of guy you want in the middle line and in the inside linebacker role. Okay, well, I remember somebody that 2012. I don't know if you remember, Sean Williams went down in like Georgia lore in that 2012 season because he like called out the defense. He's basically like, "We're playing soft" or something. I don't remember like the exact. I feel like it had some sort of like punch tagline that was attached to it but it was something about people playing soft i remember marlo herrera was a freshman he was like marlo herrera should never leave the field so he was like hyping him up to like he was a part of that defense but and after that game that was the florida game sean williams had that uh fourth and one stop on like the opening possession that like really set the tone and georgia forced like five turnovers i think that game and Got the dub, and they were obviously from that point on. The defense was like really good. So Sean Williams was remembered like a hashtag DGD, if you will, for like turn around the defense that year, and great career with the Cincinnati Bengals as well. Well, there you go. Uh, that that was good for him. Thank. That was a good uh, trip down memory lane for the dog fans there listening. You go. That, I don't know from many other college football podcasts around the internet who. Uh, who can pull that out from the dome uh, just uh, organically on this show. Yeah, man. That's what I do. There you go. Matt Green, um, one Nigel the Nighthawk um, piece of news that I wanted to get to before we do our CFB title odds, favorites, pods, and why Team X and Team Y and Team Z can and cannot win the college football title, uh, playoff title this year. But before we do that, uh, crazy week uh, in Chicago, in Evanston, Illinois, um, where Pat Fitzgerald is no longer the head coach at Northwestern. He was suspended briefly for two weeks, and then it turned into, with further reporting from the student newspaper and uh, more and more findings, that it was uh, that there was more there. Um, the hazing that uh, reportedly went on, and for for years and. Just it's an absolute mess, and it's compounded with what's going on with the baseball coach. And what if you read the story about what's going on there? You're like, what is going on with uh, Northwestern athletics? And I wrote, uh, I read a really good column from Stuart Mandel, the Athletic Today, kind of outlining outlining where Northwestern is, why they should take a step back, and like where their what their future looks like, uh, really in the NIL future of college sports world. Um, so I'd highly encourage folks to go read that on the athletic. Uh, he's a Northwestern alumnus and talked about that in the piece. And it's just weird. It's a confluence of just a lot of events here that it's weird that Pat Fitzgerald is not 
going to be the Northwestern head coach. Um, obviously been a Northwestern Liver player. Um, and it, it's gotten really bad the last three years, but definitely overachieved a lot of years at Northwestern. Um, but it's just, it's a mess. And then you read the reporting after, because I don't really want to get into um, what's gone on, because the reports is still just coming out. Um, every Seemingly every hour, uh, more and more information uh, coming out to the forefront. So I encourage folks to read the good reporting on this, whether it's Pete Thamel, um, the good folks, uh, the students at, the, at Northwestern University covering this story on a daily basis. Um, keep up with them and what they're doing and um, all that stuff. But I just, I think the thing that we, and what I feel more, um, I think is more appropriate for us to talk about at this point is now that this job is open and it looks like they're going to, which again, is weird. They're going to keep the rest of the staff intact for this year based on the circumstances, which is again, strange considering the circumstances of the head coach being removed. Um, and the culture that has been reported to have taken place in that, in that, uh, football locker room like where does this job rank um is this a desirable job is this a job now in the power two era which is andy staples from the show outline like you have to view the northwestern job in it through a different lens because they're in one of the two big money conferences and those jobs are going to be in high demand because there's just so much more money in the big 10 and the sec than every other school now for the foreseeable future. So on the face, you're like, I, I don't know, Northwestern, not a lot of history there, but like you can get paid a lot of money to go be the head football coach at Northwestern. You might have a good thing going at Wake or wherever, but the money is just so much, uh, potentially so much more. They put a bunch of money into the new football field that's coming through with upgrades there with Ryan Field, I think is what it's called. But like, I don't know what what do you make of the Northwestern job and all the, the just the different analysis and takes on what Northwestern does next, Matt Green. Yeah, it's an interesting job for sure because you look at them and like Pat Fitzgerald. If it feels like if if he didn't go to Northwestern, he probably would have left for another job years ago, right? Because mm. he did a pretty good job. It's not like they were great or anything, but I mean they finished ranked like five times in the last like decade. Like that's, that's pretty phenomenal for, for Northwestern, like almost mm. played Ohio state competitively a couple of years ago in the big 10 championship. But um, yeah, you just look at this job. Like it's, it's not Vanderbilt. Like they have competed and won some games. Like, so it's, I mean, Duke has been, you know, a, competent football program at, at times here in the last like decade and, and currently they seem pretty good so it's not unheard of obviously david shaw said stanford hadn't been good in years and maybe it's the nil era that that maybe that's the reason they went downhill or maybe it's just they went downhill and it was just a bad you know thing got things got stale and they needed a new coach will we'll, time remains to to be seen so it's not like it's impossible to win at one of these prestigious academic uh institutions but i in terms of like like you said with the big 10 money that's something i hadn't necessarily thought about of just like as a job like we joke about that of like yeah that's the best job is to get uh, be a fired sec coach you know and just be getting this this huge buyout money um but i mean if that's how you look at it as a head coach like these contracts are guaranteed so maybe you take the deal with northwestern just to get paid and it's probably not going to work out but 
you'll you'll be richer for it. So I don't know. It's in terms of winning. I think when it was the Big Ten West, a buddy of mine, uh, we were having this conversation actually earlier this week. When this was a Big Ten West job, like they could compete and maybe get in the Big Ten championship with no divisions in the in the Big Ten anymore. Like basically that that whole side of the division, and this can be another topic we can probably dig into. Like that whole side of the division is probably not going to be competing for too many Big Ten championships. Like you might see USC coming in there and <laughs> other than Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn maybe. State, Wisconsin is probably the main one. Like is Minnesota really going to be like one of the two best teams in the Big Ten? Like it's it's hard to see that. So Northwestern now, it's like Pat Fitzgerald, you know, winning, winning nine, ten games at once every three, four years. It's like that was probably as good as it can get. Like – and in terms, like, are there certain names that you've seen that you've liked? I mean, Todd Monken was thrown out there because he's from Chicago and he took the Baltimore offensive coordinator job. I don't think that's realistic. I just feel like at his age and everything, like him leaving Georgia, which was the most, probably the cushiest, I mean, <laughs> best position college-wise. Like, you don't really have to do a whole lot, not have to do the whole recruiting as much. And you're just in this perfect system where you have the best players and you can just... <laughs> do what you want to do and dominate uh on a yearly basis like i think the I, I just once you move to the nfl i just i find it hard to believe that he would back back out of the nfl and that just culture reset and just kind of the the work-life balance that the nfl provides that college doesn't so i have my doubts about that one um the best one i i saw that i think actually makes the most sense to me and it would suck for duke but if I'm Northwestern, my first call is Mike Elko. Like, he just won eight games at Duke immediately. Great defensive mind. Um, obviously, would uh, fit with the academic standards coming in from Duke and what that means. Mike Elko is probably my favorite I've seen thus far, and I think it's also probably the most realistic. And then people who threw out the, the triple, and they should do that. And I've talked about, like, them kind of chasing an identity and kind of shaking things up because of how just – horrific those offenses have been uh of late and if they're not gonna have the skill guys to run that because it's like they're putting in offensive tackles like the rayshon slaters of the world uh in the nfl draft and peter skronsky another top uh first round pick uh in the draft but it's like yeah you're developing these offensive linemen but like the quarterback play sucks and you're not doing anything offensively so it's i mean that's nice but those the goal is still to win football games the goal is still to win as many football games as possible and I'm not sure with their offense they were uh, headed in the right direction there. And I just I think about the chop block rules. And um, I was actually just talking to Kelly Quinlan um, this evening on Jackets uh, Online about uh, the Paul Johnson era attack. And one of the things that you're seeing is like Army's not running the triple anymore. They're doing a variation because the rules have gradually shifted more and more to take away um, the effectiveness of the triple and being able to run it effectively. So. Jamie Chadwell's offense is like the closest you can really do and be effective running that kind of scheme. So I'm like, who makes the most sense? Like what Jamie Chadwell, he just took Liberty. Like that'd be fun. Um, I don't think he's a, a fit for uh, Northwestern, but like, I do think if you don't go Elko, who I think makes the most logical sense, I think I would go outside the box with not an air raid per se, but someone outside the box who can do a lot with uh, three star, two star, kids um and do as much again because like you said with east and west going away like the days of them winning and making the big 10 title game are probably over the nil space will always limit them to what they can do being an academic first school like i just 
I don't know. I think you have to be realistic and look yourself in the mirror here and um, either go the the safe route and someone you know you, um, who could keep the floor pretty high um, in Mike Elko, or you go bold and go someone who had, who can do a lot with less. And I don't know who that necessarily is off the top of my head. Yeah, like, do you want to go like the a, a retread that's like a proven guy, or do you want to try to get the next up and coming guy? But mm-hmm. it's like he's really, if you have one good season, like he might be jumping for the next biggest job. Like, there's not many people that are going to view Northwestern as a destination job. Like, mm-hmm. I know one name someone threw out, Mike Kafka. Uh, mm. OC for the Giants because he played at Northwestern. So it's like maybe that's someone who, you know, looks at that as a destination job. But he's also, he's got an NFL OC job. And yeah. is, is Northwestern head coach better than an NFL OC job? Uh, probably not. Like, no. not in terms of, like, getting you to the next step. Like, so I uh, I don't know about that. Willie Fritz was an interesting one that was thrown out because Tulane is also, like, you know, a, a good academic institution. So he's, you know, a guy that's balancing that and had a, had a really good year with Tulane last year. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know where they go from here, but it's, uh, it'll, it's, it's definitely, I mean, bottom five. Like the fact that it's near Chicago is cool. Near the North side of Chicago is cool, but like it's a bottom five job in the big 10, I would think. Yeah. Uh, but like, the money is going to help them. I think the money, and that's what's going to make this search so interesting because I'm very curious to see who interviews for this. I'm very curious to see what kind of interest this job draws and um, if the money and just being, uh, like, there's only so many of these Power 2 jobs now available. And I think you look around the Power 2 right now, who's on their way out anytime soon? You look at both conferences, like, I don't know. I think a lot of these coaches are pretty safe when you think about it, right? Like who in the sec is in jeopardy in the next two to three years? Like, who are you looking at right now that like off top of your head is on the hot well, I would seat? say Jimbo is definitely on the hottest seat. 80 mil buyout. Like, I'm not sure how much he's on the hot seat right now. Yeah. But it, that's not going to last. I mean, yeah, it's hard to say because like a, a Sam Pittman or someone yeah, feels like it. they're under some pressure to win. But it also feels like they love him and they they would mm. never get rid of him. So I don't know, maybe Billy Napier, like, and, and it's like I don't really think his seat is hot at all. He's going into year yeah. two, so that's a good point. I feel like there's some Kentucky similarities with with Northwestern, yeah. But like even because it's like Kentucky, you can't really convince them that what they're doing, like they should just overhaul it and try to become this great offensive team because what they're doing is working pretty well for them. And they're mm. this physical team that's not going to win any championships playing their style, but they're they're winning a lot more games than they lose the last three or four years. So you look at Northwestern, like it's not really working though the last few years. They, what, they won one game, <laughs> three games, I think, the year, uh, 2021. So they, I would love to see an air raid guy probably have to cut the grass a little bit shorter if they're going to do something like that. But I don't know. That's where I'd start. Uh, you, you probably got to do bring in someone who's going to revamp the offense and like bring Northwestern into the 21st century. You're just, you're just going to be a worse version of Iowa essentially. Like if you just continue to do what you're doing, I don't hate it. Like, honestly, Smith and, the uh, last thing, um, like what, what job is worse than, than Northwestern in the, in the big 10, like Rutgers is oh, the person I think of. Indiana, maybe like Maryland isn't a worse job. No, right? Maryland's definitely not. So it's, it's, it might be like, 
Nebraska and like Iowa and Minnesota, like those are all better jobs than Northwestern. So UCLA and USC obviously coming oh, in. Oh, no question. Like, so it's it's definitely I think the only I think it's I think they're right there with Rutgers and then I think probably Indiana is slightly above those two, but you could you could sell me on any of those three being the worst. Yeah, for sure. Poor like none of those three are ever like that's just gonna what do, how do those football fans like what do you do now? Like when they expand and then especially when USC UCL like you know like you know as a fan you're never ever ever winning the Big Ten in football ever again. Not that you were yeah, anyway, without but a like, doubt. now there's no Like, chance. Maryland, at least, it was, like, early 2000s. Had some yeah. of those years with uh, was Ralph Regan. Was that mm, the... Ralph Regan, yeah. Regan, yeah. So, he was... Uh, they, had, they had a couple years uh, here and there. But, yeah, I, it hit it hits me the most when I see Maryland playing basketball. I'm just like, <laughs> this is... Is there any state that's, it's like, more Atlantic Coast than Maryland also? Mm. Like, Atlantic Coast Conference. Like, it's just not right them not being there. No. Uh, Matt Green, the main event here on this show tonight, the CFB title odds pod um, that I wanted to do here for the theme this week. Um, the, a lot of different uh, betting odds out now uh, for the national championship winner um, going into next year. And I know a lot of folks, we've cited it on this pod last week, that uh, it seems like a lot of folks are doubting the dogs and their three-peat odds. Doubting the dogs. And I would like you to uh, tell me, Matt Green, who is the overwhelming favorite to win a win their third straight national championship here on this very show? I want to start by saying I was not one of the ones pushing this narrative that mm-hmm. the dogs were being doubted. But um, yeah, Georgia is plus twenty twenty two, plus two twenty. Yes, uh, easy for me to say. Uh, yeah, by far the the leader going into this year. So let's start with your dogs. They, when you think about this year, why they will repeat Matt Green, why they will not, maybe the most interesting landmine that will be that that's on the, on the horizon in their 2023 season. Um, and then maybe the biggest pre-fall camp question that has you uh, thinking, has your mind turning um, when it comes to UGA's 2023-2024 CFP title chances. I mean, I think there's really only one question. Like, I mean, when it comes down, when you look at the teams, like, yeah, maybe there's some certain position battles that haven't been, like, the, the one of the starting corners hasn't been solidified yet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you need some outside linebackers to step up and replace Nolan Smith and Robert Beal. So you'll have to see, like, who starts in those, but it's almost like when Alabama was, was churning at their, at their peak, it's like whoever wins those jobs, you kind of have confidence is going to be a really good player. But it, it just all comes down to Carson Beck. Like if Carson Beck is just ready to be the guy, like maybe when the, the lights, the bright lights get on, he just something happens and he's not the guy. I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing that could derail Georgia's season, except for the fact that the schedule is just so weak for the first, I don't know, five, six weeks. Like South Carolina, I think, is like the toughest game of like the first, I want to say four or five. Auburn might be the fifth game or so mm. on the schedule right in front of me. But, um, so I just I think the the biggest thing is just that why they will win is because I think this defense I think this is gonna look more like the 2021 team like I think they're bringing back so much of this defense from a year ago like last year as as crazy as it is to say was the rebuilding year and 
the offense was supposed to carry the team more and the offense was damn good and they basically did most of the season but I don't think anyone really expected the defense to really not miss a beat the way they they I mean they weren't as good as, as they were in 2021 but they were still really good and I think you could see definitely them get better at all levels with like true freshmen like Michael Williams and Malachi Starks becoming sophomores like those guys could be potential superstars like Kamari Lassiter and Javon Bullard are both getting like first round mocks uh recently so like this this defense is going to be pretty sick and it's it's hard to see like that many teams really really challenging them I think it's interesting, and we'll talk about one of those teams who might challenge them. Um, and it, they might not really get challenged until the SEC title game, where, again, the team that we think might challenge them, they absolutely blew out uh, in the title game this past year in LSU. And maybe that's different. Uh, a year LSU, I think, will be better uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, they found their stride late. I think they'll have the better quarterback this time, who's uh, I think will be a Heisman finalist uh, this year in Jaden Daniels. But we'll talk about LSU in a second. Like, that's also the interesting part, sorry to cut you, but is like that Jaden Daniels didn't really do anything. Like mm-hmm. once Jaden Daniels came out and Nussmeyer was the one who threw for like 300 yards in that mm-hmm. game. So it was like, it wasn't garbage time, but it was like after Georgia got a big lead, but they kind of hung around. Like it was kind of a weird game. What was it, 50 to 30? Like a very, yeah. you don't see many 50 to, th- I don't know if I've ever seen a 50 to 30 <laughs> Georgia football game before. And then it's like, I was talking to Hudson Mason about this tonight too where i think what the thing about this and you mentioned the corner spot so one of them obviously last year i think is actually one of the three dogs who are going to nashville with kirby for sec media day like that side's done but you're replacing keely ringo on the other side and it's like georgia they there's a difference between like issues and question marks does that make sense where like georgia doesn't have a secondary issue they just have secondary question marks like Malachi Starks done. No, you know exactly what you got there. Superstar, all that. Lasseter on one side, you know you're good to go. On that side, fine. They have talent who is going to replace uh, Ringo at, at that spot, but it's just a question mark. And it's just when you're looking at Georgia and like what you you have to nitpick. Everything feels like nitpicking when you are trying to find where Georgia's weak, where Georgia is susceptible you're like well Jalen Carter's not there anymore that's nice there's no Jordan Davis and no Jaden uh Jalen Carter that's gonna be nice but you're also like well there's also gonna be a bunch of five stars still on that defensive line rushing rushing the passers like the Samuel and Pimba's now enter the fold and like there's all kinds of guys behind them maybe not to the same extent upside wise as uh Jalen Carter but like still very very good and it's not going to be a, a positional weakness it's just hard for me to see anywhere on this roster right now that's weak outside and when i say weak i shouldn't even say weak that's a question mark of like whether or not it will be a a good to great unit other than corner i think corner is just it for me of like maybe there's something there if you have some dominant big receivers like ohio state or tennessee yeah and i think that's definitely a possibility to for not for nothing else it's just going to be an inexperienced position it could be like tyson campbell was started as a true freshman and it was mm. like he was a guy who turned into a really good player but he got picked on a lot as a freshman so you know you could see a guy have to you know who could I think start Eric's, who, who are I think the guys Eric stokes eventually beat him out that year and never give the job back but um who are the guys right now it's uh number six. Oh man i'm blanking D- dalen everett off the, is uh he was a five-star 
I don't know if he redshirted. I think he was a. I think as he played last year, so he'll be a mm. sophomore. Um, then Nylon Green is a candidate. I think he's a redshirt sophomore. And then who's the other? The third one is uh, Jalen Humphrey because Jaheim mm. Singletary transferred. I Julian think, to Humphrey Arkansas. or Jalen? Julian Humphrey. Yeah. Um, so I think those are the three that could potentially uh, play that other position. But also Javon Bullard played that nickel spot all of last year, and he's supposed to be the other safety this season with Chris Smith uh, going to the NFL. And so Tyke Smith. Tyke Smith back. was – that's basically what he did so well at West Virginia was be that kind of close-to-the-line-of-scrimmage type of corner, really good tackler. But he had an ACL injury at Georgia, and he, you know, he hasn't played as much. So, you know, that, that's another spot that could potentially be a question mark. But also when there's question marks in the secondary, when you have Kirby Smart as the head coach, it's like I almost feel like that's like the position that Kirby Smart's like looking at the most and the guys he's like hands-on teaching the most. So like, I feel like you're going to get the best out of, those, out of those positions, I feel like, under Kirby Smart. Yeah, and I mean, this is going to sound weird, maybe running back like if Kendall Milton's banged up and he still can't get healthy or like the rotation of backs maybe like if car like maybe a lot more is going to have to be on Carson Beck's plate and he's going to have to do a whole lot more if the running game is not what it's been in years past like if injuries mount up or just the again it's not that they don't have talent there's a lot of inexperience and um just injury issues um in that running back room so maybe it's that but for me I can't shake that it's the corner spots if you want to pick anywhere uh on this georgia team that might be susceptible and prevent them from going uh back to back to back it would probably be corner and maybe getting toasted by um an ohio state or or tennessee or maybe even lsu because they've got a good receiving uh core too maybe even texas a&m if all the pieces come together because they are pretty loaded in that regard too maybe texas but- if you get a college ball playoff matchup against texas like that's probably a not the best matchup for Georgia, I would say, right now. I mean, everybody's a good matchup for Georgia because of the dogs, but I do think with what they have out wide, and if Quinn Ewers lives up to the hype, that's a more interesting game. We saw they played Bama last year. It's a big year for Texas in a multitude of ways, but yeah. Yeah, Texas is going to be a tough matchup for anybody with those receiving weapons they have. But I think Dejon Edwards is a guy that gets forgotten about a lot. Mm. Like, he had 770 yards and seven touchdowns last year. Like, as the number two back, like, over five yards a carry. Like, Kendall Milton averaged, like, almost seven yards a carry. Like, he, while he has been banged up, like, he still did have, like, a 600-yard season as well. So, I just think – I think Branson Robinson is the guy who has the most, like – if there's going to be if you had if one if someone told you that one of these guys broke out and was like first team all conference it would be Branson Robinson. He seems mm. like the the one that has like the actual kind of star potential, but like I wouldn't be surprised if you saw these guys kind of do similar to what they did a year ago. Maybe not any running back um producing uh in the in the passing game like like uh, Kenny McIntosh was, but in terms of just having one guy with about 800 yards, another with about 700 yards, another with about 600 yards, and, like, this is, like, a good, maybe not great running game, but, like, as good as it needs to be. And if the quarterback does – because I think it's it feels disrespectful to Stetson Bennett to say, like, the passing game could get better. But, like, mm. the passing game easily could get better. Like, it's not like it was it was just flawless. Like, Stetson Bennett was a really good player, but he – this guy was drafted what in the fifth round? Like, there's a reason like, he's 
he's missing something. Like, he's not missing a lot. He was a damn good college football player and won two national championships. But if you get a guy who's a more prototype NFL arm and NFL size, like, there is a chance that this offense does get better. And I don't think we've mentioned it yet. Um, also, Brock Bowers is still on this team. So, I mean, you got Brock Bowers. You know, what, what, what more do you need? I, I just he it's gonna be an all season thing, folks. So for the full ride diehards, uh you I know just, I say everything school a lot on this very program. Matt Green mentioning Brock Bowers is gonna be the new drinking game this fall. I just want you to know I was laughed at in a group text with my in a group thread with some of my friends for giving Jordan Davis Heisman hype. I don't know, two, three, four, five weeks into the 2021 season. I was like, Jordan Davis, this man deserves some legitimate Heisman hype. And people laughed at me. Mm. This guy finished eighth in the Heisman <laughs> as a nose tackle. Like, that's all I'm saying. Like, don't sleep on, don't sleep on Brock Bowers. People also laughed at me. I think you laughed at me when I said Jalen Carter could potentially be just as good as Will Anderson. Will Anderson was the one that getting all the hype coming into last year. And I was saying... Jalen Carter is also a dominant force in his own right on the defensive line. So, you know, I'm not trying to, uh, I've, I've made some bad calls too, but uh, this Brock Bowers guy, he's the uh, best, best tight end I've ever seen. I think this guy deserves legitimate Heisman, Heisman talk for sure. Great. I don't know if his stats will keep up oh with it, God. but we'll, we'll see. I think the preseason, if I'm, if I'm going to a casino before the season starts, I'm definitely, definitely putting a bet down. He, what a monster we've created here, folks. Um, Clemson, I, or yes, I just call him like I see him, man. It's Brock I, Bowers. He's I, a he's Superman. I, I hey, I respect it. Um, Clemson or USC? I think I grouped them together, and uh, for the good folks checking out the the odds here, they're tied at sixteen hundred apiece plus sixteen hundred. The only teams with better odds is Michigan, Ohio State. Alabama and Georgia. What's funny about that, if you seem to recall, Matt Green, what do we say at the end of the regular season in Big Ten and SEC title game? What what do we say on this very show? Um, refresh my memory. Those are the four best teams, and like we knew, those were the four best teams. Like Bama shouldn't have gotten in. We're not going to revisit what Saban said about like being the betting favorite if they had gotten in. Blah blah blah. And Soft. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, I think those were the four best teams last year. Like if I had, like those were the four best teams and those, it would have been a more fun final four if those were no, no disrespect to TCU, but we would have had a better national title game if that was the four in the original college football playoff. I'm looking at that now and I'm like, yeah, that's talk to Michigan. They're the ones that, uh, that lost to TCU. Hey, I, yeah, that's fair. Um, but Clemson and USC are the two on the outside looking in where like, here's the cool thing. Those Four schools, two of them are going to ha- maybe have to battle it out in the SEC and Big Ten title or the SEC game. And I think the Big Ten moves to dropping divisions next year. I think this is their yeah. last year. The ACC dropped it this year. Um, so you look at Clemson's side, schedule. Side note: yeah. If we get Michigan, Ohio State, like in the Big Ten championship, like if that comes like an every year thing, that's just going to be awful. If they just played back to back weeks, like multiple. Welcome years. to Auburn's misery. Oh man. Auburn oh yeah, would, that could happen too. Auburn, like I mean, going Georgia, Bama, Georgia—that's a—it's hard I to mean, find. They have, might have to play Alabama. There might be a year where they actually play with no divisions. They might play Bama twice in a row. There you go. But I didn't um, mean to derail your uh, your USC Clemson. Go ahead. Well, they're right there, 
And I think they actually have similar questions. And obviously, a Riley on both sides. Garrett Riley now the OC at Clemson. Mm. Lincoln Riley, his brother, head coach at um, USC. Two five stars under center. Kay Klubnick looked up and down. And this is his first full year. Gets a full offseason as QB1. Five Former five-star all the time in the world. Will Shipley, I think, is a dark horse Heisman guy. I think they have a lot more talent uh, on, in the wideout room and just where they're going to be. I think the offense is going to be a lot better. I think I'm buying a lot of Clemson stock right now and selling a lot of Florida State stock because I think a lot of people just want a Florida State to be fully back. And I'm still like, if I had to go today, like who would I bet on Clemson or Florida State? I would be like, I'd still bet on Clemson. Until you get over the Clemson hump, I'm not going to go against them yet. And I actually think they had a pretty solid offseason uh, by and large and addressed some some issues. And, you know, I just I'm very curious because both they're in weaker conferences, which helps for the college football playoff odds like that is a big thing. USC controlled their dynasty or their destiny at the end of last year. All they had to do is get by Utah. Like you look at Clemson, just get by Florida State. The ACC is pretty weak when you look at it this year the path there and then you get in the final four and you never know what can happen like you're right there and you might avoid georgia in the first four and we saw how clemson played georgia two years ago um at oh it was in charlotte right that was a neutral Mm -hmm. in charlotte played them close obviously a lot's changed since then but that was a very very good georgia team very good georgia defense i think clemson will have a great uh, to great defense once again i don't know for you who do you think is the better cfp title winner odds because i think it's clemson and i don't really hesitate here that i would lean more in the, in this direction which one do you lean yeah i agree because i was trying to compare usc to someone else be, be i just couldn't really come up with anyone because it's like if they fix the defense like mm. that's such a huge if like mm. yeah if one side of the ball if 50 percent of their <laughs> team just fundamentally changes everything about them yeah then maybe they can do it it's like the offense, we know an offense can carry a team a long way, but like in what the Pac-12 is right now, like a lot of good teams with I feel like some, what should be some pretty good defenses as well, like seeing how how many like quality contenders there are in that conference, like I can't see them getting through this conf- this like this entire conference, including the conference championship. Like I can't see them doing that with less, with like less than two losses, honestly. It just... Unless they fix the defense, and then, yeah, they could be the best team in the country. But it's like that's just such a huge if. Whereas Clemson, like, fixing the offense is like, well, this is a team that's been good at offense every single year for the last decade, basically, until 2021 and 2022. So it's like you get Garrett Riley, one of the best OCs in the country. Clemson, they might not be recruiting at the same level they were, like, maybe at the peak of the Watson and, like, Lawrence era. But, like, Clemson's still getting really good players. And their defense is still really good. And if, if the offense just gets a little bit better, like, like you said about the ACC, like they should clearly be the best team in the ACC. I, I think I, if I was putting money down today, I feel like they, they feel like a pretty good bet to, to finish top four. I think so too. And I, here's the thing, USC, I, have you looked at the back end of their schedule? Uh, I don't know it off the top of my head. They finished from, so this is from October 14th on, Matt Green. At Notre Dame, Utah at home, at Cal, UW at home, at Oregon, UCLA at home. Yeah, that's brutal. 
I don't like, I'm telling you, I am selling this stock because they're going to get all the hype. They get San Jose State, Nevada, Stanford, Arizona State, Colorado, Arizona. Like, their entire first half is going to be a cakewalk. They're going to outscore and obliterate the first half of their schedule. I see two, maybe three losses in the back end there. Yeah, that's probably, are those the next four best teams in the in the Pac-12? Uh or like four of the five along with USC there in the last five games of the season. Like that's a uh, going to South Bend. It's not going to be easy. Like, I think they're going to be better this year. Yeah. I think Sam Hartman's understand. Like it's going to be, I, they do get all of those games at home. It, not except Oregon. for Oregon. Yeah. So that, that is something they have going with that second half pack 12 slate. But yeah, that's a, uh, that's brutal. The fact that it's laid out that way. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't see them having less than two losses or yeah, having less than two losses in this regular season schedule. Yeah. I just don't like it. Um, I, I just not a fan and Clemson gets Florida state at home. That's huge. I think this year getting Florida state at home is huge for Clemson. And I can't wait for that one. That's going to be, I think one of the five best games, uh, this college football season and the regular do, season. Do they, is. do they have anyone? Um, they don't have anyone at a, at a conference, like opening up. Now they're at Duke. Okay, so it's really just mm-hmm. South Carolina is pretty much the only good team that we're going to play at a conference. They play Notre Dame. Uh, Notre this Dame. Year? Yeah, okay. they got Notre Dame. Is that, but that's at home. Is that a conference game? Like, is that one of, mm. or is that an addition to the conference? Like, because Notre Dame has that weird. They play them, but it's not a ACC. conference game. Is that it? Doesn't count towards the conference. No. Oh, okay, I'm not sure. I realized that. Yeah, and they got to go to North or uh, to South Carolina. Um, so we'll see the South Carolina did just beat them last year. So they need to get back on that. That's definitely true. Can't count that one, uh, as an automatic win. Um, Alabama, this one shocked me. Alabama has the second best title odds after the off season. They're not sending a quarterback to Nashville because no one knows who their freaking quarterback is going to be. Defense is going to be elite. They bring in Kevin Steele. I think that's an upgrade over Pete Golding. The schedule's nice. You get Tennessee at home. You avoid Georgia again the regular season. Like, it's a pretty nice situation um, for Bama. They get LSU, I think, at home as well um, in the regular season. So that's all nice. Like, they should be the favorite to win the West. But, like, wh- why? why? Why are they the second best team? Like, I just, I don't see it, Macarena. Am I missing something? Like, I think they took a step back. Like I don't, the receivers aren't there. Like you're betting a lot on Malik Benson, the running back room. I, there's talent, a lot of true freshman talent. Like, I don't know if you feel great about Tommy Reese and that 40th ranked offense coming into the fold. Like I think they had a downgrade there. I just, Will Anderson's gone. We'll see what Dallas Turner and company look like off the edge. But like, man, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't see a national title. I think that's throwing money away. If you, uh, you throw money at Bama uh, winning the national title this year. I would be more floored about Bama winning the national title this year than LSU, Georgia. I mean, floored though. Like it's Alabama still. Ohio State, Michigan, and maybe Clemson. I wouldn't take it that far. I, I, I'm with you to an extent. Like, I, I don't think Alabama is going – I don't think they're going to win the West this year. And you, I think if they were playing at Texas this year, I think yeah. they might be like a two-touchdown underdog, honestly. But the fact that that's in Tuscaloosa, I think that does go a long way for them. But, yeah, I just – I don't know. They've played 
excuse me, the last two seasons, they've played nine one-score games in, in the regular season. And you got to probably go back a, a decade to find nine one-score games they're playing in the regular season. Like, yeah, they're playing some with, like, Clemson and maybe some SEC championships or something here and there. But, like, to actually just to be – Barely beating a bad Texas A&M team, uh, a whatever Ole Miss team last year. Like, even LSU, like, LSU was good. They obviously won the West, but a big reason they won the West is because they beat Bama. Like, they they obviously lost to A&M at the end of the season. Like, they weren't even going into the SEC championship, like, on a hot streak or anything. So, their season really kind of looks better because they beat Alabama and so I feel like Alabama did feel like one of the four best teams last year. They just kind of didn't take care of business. But I think Bryce Young was also a huge reason why. Like, I think he just made that offense look so much better than it was at times. Like, Jameer Gibbs was that, like, Bama-level playmaker, you know? Like, that you just saw this guy get the ball, and you're like, okay, this guy's different. Like, they didn't have anyone else on the roster like that. If, if it's, like, Jason McClellan is good, like what we were talking about with Georgia's running backs. Like, he's good. He's fine. But he doesn't seem like he's going to be a first-team all-conference type of guy. So if if they're – I've heard people kind of allude to them like, oh, maybe they just go back to the old days of pounding the rock and playing defense or whatever. But they got to play much better defense if they're going to start doing that. And also, I was told a couple years ago that that, that wasn't a winning formula anymore. So I just – if, if their running game is going to be that good, I think it's probably because of one of these freshmen steps up and, and steps up and is like a potential superstar. Cause I don't, I don't see that from Jace McClellan. And I guess, I mean, if Milrow wins the job, then you got the quarterback running as part of the dynamic in the running game. But I don't know. I, I don't see, I don't see a national championship for this team in 2023 either. Yeah. I just, I, I don't see it. I think their floor is still so high with their talent and I really like their schedule. But I just – it doesn't feel like a, a title team to me. This feels like a 10-2 Bama team and kind of a forgettable – I think they're just going to be in that 10-2 range most years for the next couple. I think they're not – like when people say program in decline, I think they're decline in the sense that like UGA is significantly past them at this point. And now I think there's a path to LSU passing them in the next two years. Um, and they just beat them in year one. If LSU beats them again – um on the road i don't know i think they're both bama or both lsu and tennessee got a taste of beating bama last year and i'm curious to see if both can go on the road and do it again because that's uncharted waters if lsu your two biggest i mean two of your biggest rivals beat you um back to back um in a home and home would be pretty pretty wild and i i don't know if i would pick either on the road right now uh, for LSU or Tennessee, who do you who would you feel better about winning in Tuscaloosa this fall right now? Right now, probably LSU because I I can see LSU potentially being better than they were a year ago. I mm. I don't necessarily see Tennessee being better than they were, and the, the offense kind of traveling to Tuscaloosa. I don't know. I, I I would right now I would say LSU seems like the the more dangerous team, and they're also. LSU just seems like they're wired different. Like, they're one of the few teams that's, like, not afraid to go into Bryant-Denny. Like, they just – they'll play Alabama hard, like, wherever they go. Like, no matter if they're having a bad season, like, they play Alabama tough. Like, I don't I don't know. It's something different about LSU. But um, the Texas game is the one I'm really interested in because I I think just outright Texas, Texas – Texas could just be better than Alabama next year. So, like, I don't think – 
I don't think Alabama's lost a regular season out of conference game since year one of Saban. Since what, like Louisiana Monroe? Is that who they lost to that year? Like, I think that I think, that's right. I think that might be the last non-conference uh, uh, regular season game that that Alabama lost under Saban. And I think it, I think we could see it happen with Texas in week two. Is there a better odds to take right now than A&M at plus, uh, what is it, plus 60,000? 60, it's just six, plus 6,000, excuse me. Like, that's the number one. I saw this, and you have to keep scrolling. I'm like, where's A&M? Oh, plus 6,000? That's the, I would throw, not like my life savings, but 100 bucks, 200 bucks at that. Yeah, because you look at that in that area of just like you trying to take a long shot because, I mean, mm. this is college football, like, I did get in on Georgia at 10 to one back in 2021. <laughs> Never going to get those odds maybe ever again, <laughs> but like, that's gotta be the, I mean, I guess LSU probably wasn't just the outright favorite going into 2019. Yeah. I don't know what they were uh, preseason wise, but you don't see many long shots win the national championship. In no, no football. one saw Joe Burrow being that good. Like no one no, had that. De- definitely not. So, I mean, maybe just because they're LSU, they still could have been top 10 in preseason mm-hmm. odds or something that year. But, um, that's yeah, a A&M, sneaky good like, comp. That is a sneaky, interesting comp. LSU with, like, Joe Brady coming in as OC and that maybe, like, Petrino. Uh, like, we've seen Heisman quarterbacks under him. We saw Lamar Jackson, what he was. Like, Connor Weigman, year two here. Like, all the talent in the world, the receiver talent. Jamar Chase, Evan Stewart. Like, um, that's that, – I, I, I didn't say it, though. That's you saying it. That's not me. I did say the 2019 LSU thing. But I am high on A&M, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I really do think they're – they're a contender to win the West next year. Like, I just, I think it's, uh, with Petrino, like, the more I think about it, the more I just think, like, this guy knows offense. And this defense was really, really good last year. Like, I think the second best defense in the SEC, if I'm not mistaken. So, like, A&M has the guys on defense. You were just talking about the playmakers offensively, all those freshmen and sophomores uh, they had a year ago. So, I think A&M is definitely in terms of that long shot area like they they would they would be the one I would take a shot with for sure. I like it. Um last one here. Vols or LSU. They have the same title odds, Matt Green, and I thought this was surprising. Um excuse me, not the same odds. Uh plus 2500 for Tennessee. LSU plus 1000. But they are the two behind Bama and Georgia. I was surprised to see Tennessee at four. LSU at three. Obviously, Tennessee blew out LSU last year in the Bayou. I would stay the hell away from Tennessee at that number and everything else. But, like, Tennessee, do they have a cleaner path than LSU does to the national title, to a national title run? Does at Tennessee's high floor make you feel better about Tennessee than the kind of up and down play of Jaden Daniels, like obviously Joe Milton coming in, it's a little bit different, but like you at least know for certain that the Tennessee offense is going to be one of the best in the country again, regardless of who is under center. I just, I wonder what their path is because they might benefit from just losing to Georgia being 11 and one, 10 and two, if they lose to Bama too and sweep A&M in Florida, then like they could skip the SEC title game and find their way in uh, kind of what happened last year, right? Where the stars align, where if they took care of business against South Carolina, they're in most likely in the college football playoff this past year. LSU, on the other hand, might be in the title game, go in with one loss, maybe a loss to Florida state or something. 
um, and then maybe some, and then they get into the SEC title game and lose to Georgia again in back-to-back years, and they're sitting there with two losses, and Tennessee gets the nod because of just some kind of circumstance where they find their way. And I think there is a path for that to maybe make Tennessee more of a better gamble than LSU, but I think LSU is the the better team this year. I don't know what it just had me thinking of like between the the tier. Basically, it's the tier two SEC East team and the tier two SEC West team, where it's been Georgia, Bama forever, and now it just feels like LSU and Tennessee are firmly entrenched as the next team behind uh, the top dogs in the divisions, right? I would agree with with your points about Tennessee because. The SEC East is generally weaker than the West, but they get Alabama and A&M from the West. So it's like yeah. you're potentially getting the two best teams out of the West. Other than LSU could definitely be right there and be the, mm. the other best team in the West. So, And obviously Georgia's preseason number one team that's on Tennessee's schedule. So I don't know how much like more... I don't know how much easier Tennessee's schedule really is. Like LSU does that have the does have the opener with Florida State. Like that's a big time uh, at a conference game to start the season, and then playing just the typical SEC West slate. And they're going to play Florida as well, uh, like Tennessee will. But um, I don't know. It seems like it's got some some similar speed bumps for sure. The fact that Tennessee can basically wait till Week Eleven to to play Georgia and like if basically if they can just like have have their season be alive until going into that Georgia game like it's it's just it's so disheartening sometimes when you have that big big game that's week 3 or 4 of the season and you lose that and you're trying to battle away your way back up in the rankings the rest of the year the fact that the Georgia game is so late in the season like we don't necessarily know like Joe Milton's got a bunch of talent we don't necessarily know that the offense is going to you know, be as seamless and as it was with Hooker, um, the seamless transition to Joe Milton. But the fact that that game is week 11, it's in Knoxville, like it's kind of like the climax of the season. Kind of, You can't necessarily just be watching ahead till that uh, Georgia game. That's the way you'll lose two or three games on the schedule. But I, uh, I think that's one thing that Tennessee does have going for them, that they have the potential to play the number one team in the country in their, in their back door, in their backyard. Yeah, I just – I'm so fascinated by both schools. And do they take a step forward? Do they realistically challenge? Do they make that jump into the Tier 1? And is this a sustainable thing? And um, they're doing it in very different ways. They're battling for similar guys like LSU and Tennessee are going to the wire for Kai Bates, corner four-star, uh, Talon Singleton, linebacker four-star out of Louisiana. Like, there, I think there's going to be a lot of crossover with these two schools. And I think Brian Kelly – and Josh Heupel or um, there is just gonna be interesting to see where things go over the next two seasons here with both programs. Cause I think they're both in the up and up, but I wonder um, ultimately how it goes uh, between those two. So I would still lean LSU and taking that, but um, the vaults, I think like we talked about the East path, like if you can avoid, if you are respectable against Georgia and take care of your business elsewhere, there is a path to Tennessee sneaking in to one of those four schools. Also, to give Tennessee credit, I'm surprised you didn't throw this point in. Tennessee beat LSU 40 to 13 yep. in Death That was a year ago. Year. You have to throw so that out the window. It, it was, was a year ago, but in terms of saying where these two programs are right now, like it feels like LSU is a is a definitely a trendier pick to actually be getting 
SEC championship talk right now. Like, I don't feel like I've heard nearly as much uh, with Tennessee as I have LSU. It's like this team did just absolutely blast LSU in Death Valley just a year ago. For sure. Well, that's all I've got, Matt Green. That was a fun exercise. Yeah, it was good stuff, man. I like it. I like it. Are we doing our favorite for the folks that we tease them for next week's show? The Our favorite players from the SEC and each SEC team? You want to do that next week? Yeah, let's do it. I saw a little social media trend. I thought it'd be a good good way for us to stroll down memory lane. Some SEC. Throw out some, some real obscure names that we just like for some reason. Uh, but yeah, I think that should be fun. I'm with it. And then the conference predictions coming up before you know it. Um, we'll be going down our prediction uh, sheet, so we'll have that ready to go for the regular season and revisiting that in December and all that good stuff. So we're almost here in preview season. Yes, sir. 52 days. There you go. Matt Green, always a pleasure, and I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Late on a Tuesday, 680 The Fans, Hudson Mason hops on the program because he's got to get to bed in what I imagine is like the next 30 minutes because the man has to get up at like 4 a.m. What what time do you get up in the morning for the locker room, Hudson? Yeah, about alarm goes off at about 5, 4.30, Yeah. How is that? Are you when? How long doing this show before you were used to the, the 4, 5 a.m. wake up? It, I would say it took me about a year. Um, I've been doing the morning show for 6A The Fan for two years now. And uh. everybody always said, man, morning morning radio is a different animal. Mm. I, uh, it's not so hard for me to get up as it is go to bed at night. Like mm. four is the harder part to me because I tried for like eight months to, hey, I'm going to get nine hours of sleep at night and I'm going to bed at 9 15 and i would just lay there for an hour and it was worthless you know it was pointless and so yeah i go to bed about 10 10 15 you know i it, it, it's i love the new baseball rules and the pace of play because i mm. can i can actually watch a braves game all the way to the bottom of the ninth and in three outs you know and so i've mastered the ability to just lay in bed and click game over go to bed so <laughs> i like it yeah what do you do prep wise? So when you're getting in there, like, so are you like, how, like, what is your morning routine? Are you a coffee guy? Or are you scanning uh, just different articles? How are you outlining stuff? Cause I, when my head, I just, I, I just am so curious about the folks who start their day ready to, to go and lead conversations. Yeah. Cause I just, I'm not a morning guy at all. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it, it is different. It is, there is mornings where look, you just, you didn't get a great night of sleep the night before, mm-hmm. right? reality i got a two-year-old so i get a lot there's a lot of those um, uh, Mm. recently um and so i have found that there are mornings where i'm like man uh the takes just aren't flowing (laughs) as fluidly as they're supposed to you know yeah uh the the brain and the things just up here are not churning as Mm. want them to and so luckily for me in the dynamic of our show there's about three or four other guys on our show and so um the prep is a little different than when i've done a two-man show um the dynamic of the show you know i'm not with five total guys on a show i'm not talking as much as i did obviously when there were two guys on a show Mm. oh the prep looks like you know night before you get all your prep done and when we get to work we have a fantastic uh producer named brody who has everything laid out and you know we really know what we're going to talk about the night before before we go to bed 
I like it. What's harder, prepping for uh, a college football game, calling that on a Saturday, or prepping for uh, a big radio show yeah. early in the morning? All games by far. Okay. Mainly because of the, the rosters in football, mm. college football, them being so big. And for me, the games I'm calling, I'm doing a lot of like um, American Athletic Conference games. I'm kind of all over. I'm not kind of beholden to one specific conference. So mm. I will have a new team almost every week. And mm. so, you know, and, and so that you're memorizing rosters, different rosters every single week. And so mm. – you know, it's not like baseball where you get a three-game series and you kind of get familiar with those right. three straight games or basketball where you, you know, you're only dealing with maybe 9, 10, 11 type players. Football's a different dynamic. Did you do a Tennessee? I know you did a Tennessee game two years ago. I know Aaron did Tennessee-Akron. Did you do a Tennessee game this fall? I did not. Yeah, I had Tennessee two years ago. I think it was yeah. Eric. Yeah, yeah. Josh, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you break out your college football watching during this season? Because you, you're obviously calling games on Saturday, and yeah. a lot of folks are turning to you like, hey, what do you think about Georgia? Like, how, how are you watching Georgia games on Saturday when you're on assignment? It's a good question because almost every single one of my games last year was either at uh, the 3.30 window, 4 o'clock window, or a night window. Hmm. Uh, and so, obviously, with Georgia being really good now, they're not playing at noon. Yeah. So I had to tape record a ton of the Georgia games and it was, it was a challenge because I don't, I didn't want to know the outcome. Mm -hmm. I'd rather watch it live. And so it was kind of a juggling act of ignoring text messages. Yeah. Play by play partner. Hey, don't ruin the ending. <laughs> He'll tell me they're in breaks. Your dogs are up 14. Your dogs are up 21. I remember the Georgia Tennessee game last year. I was calling a game. I think it was at Memphis. Mm -hmm. Our game was at four o'clock in the Georgia Tennessee game, which was a huge game. Yeah. That was at 3.30, and, you know, I'm probably not supposed to say this, but I had my phone over here on the side mm. uh, all the way up until kickoff, watching at least the first 30 minutes that I could. Um, so Those are my favorite 30 minutes yeah. of the game, to be completely to be This first 30, the first the first 30 of the last two Georgia-Tennessee games have been top-notch. Yeah. After that, I'm, I'm good. I, did, I didn't need the rest of that. So for Georgia, sometimes it's, it is a go-back-on-Sunday when I get home and, and mm. one uh after i've i've recorded it um and you know for the rest of my college football it's really catching up on the rest of the world once i get back to my hotel room saturday night i like it yeah. who's the most interesting tape team that you've since you started calling games and calling aac games who have you enjoyed actually watching and studying the most over the last couple of years who which staff and which yeah, team has been well, the most interesting no i've had i've had cincinnati a couple times there are mm. luke fickle and desmond ritter and um, you know, they've been so much fun and fantastic and great and so insightful and, um, just, you know, watching a team like Cincinnati make the college football playoff and being able to cover them. And, um, they, they've been really good. I think, um, you know, I've had a couple SEC games. I always get about two SEC, two or three SEC games a year. Uh, last year I had Texas A&M and I had a Texas A&M at the end of the year. So it was really interesting to get down there and, uh, with everything that was going on at Texas A&M with them not playing very well and the pressure, mm. pressure for Jimbo and that number one recruiting class. It was interesting to kind of just get down there and see things for yourself and kind of feel the vibe around the program, and which obviously wasn't great at the time. And, and so um, I would say, you know, it depends on the year. Like last year going to Texas A&M, even though they weren't very good, was, mm. was interesting. And for our show, 
my radio show at 6A The Fan, we talk so much college football mm. that it really bleeds into my daily radio show, which is great. There's yeah. any nuggets of information that I can take from my coaches' calls or my broadcast and and turn it into content on my radio show. Mm. You know, and even and especially when those SEC games come up, whether I'm doing a South Carolina game or a Texas A&M, haven't done a Georgia game. They're too good for me right now. Uh, Florida a couple of years ago. I had the Florida-Missouri game two years ago during COVID when Dan Mullen and Eli Drinkwitz got into it. Yeah. Uh, halftime on Halloween night. So that was fun. Um, just being able to take those stories and turn them into content on air, I think, is always great for your audience and your listeners. I like it. Um, with, when it comes to Georgia, we've talked about Georgia a little bit, and I want to pick your brain here as someone who – remembers Mike Bobo uh, way back in the day. Uh, the Georgia I grew up with, the Georgia I prefer, I'm yeah. not going to lie, Hudson. I, I prefer this iteration of the Georgia Bulldogs uh, versus uh, the current iteration uh, coming to Knoxville this fall. But with, you've heard all the takes, like I always think it's interesting to pick actual players and guys who've actually done it and not talking heads who have no real concept for what is going to change schematically and like what is actually going to look all that different because a lot of people, the, the constant take is, there's going to be a drop-off from Monken to Bobo. There just is. And then you could throw out, okay, what happened at Auburn? What happened at South Carolina? What happened at the end to Colorado State? But with your experience there and with what you know about what Bobo runs and what Bobo is going to do versus what Todd Monken does schematically, what do you think is going to be the biggest shift? And are you all that concerned about schematically anything changing? Yeah, no, uh, the answer is no. I'm not, I'm not concerned schematically. I think at times um, – we probably put too much, I say we, the collective as just like fans and people in the media put too much of a focus on an impact on coaches and, and mm. probably talk enough about players. And I, I just, I think any coach will tell you uh, good coach, good players make good coaches and bad players make bad coaches. Mm. Uh, and it really is that simple. And with Georgia right now, they have great players. I mean, it's just, They've stockpiled talent. Um, you know, I, I've said this, and it's true, and I've talked to other Georgia teammates, and they've reiterated the same thing that I played with. The the offensive skill talent and position talent from A to Z that Mike Bobo had compared to what he has now is it, this, this group of talent is so much better. It really mm. is. I think the most talented offense that he had, in my opinion, was probably the 2012 offense which set a lot of offensive records, averaged 40 points per game, you know, took Alabama down to the last play in the SEC championship game. Um, and I still think, man, what he has, what he's inheriting on the offensive side of the ball, and even with a quarterback who is kind of unproven in Carson Beck, but mm -hmm. really talented skill position group who's bringing back pretty much all their leading receivers from last year, added two guys in the portal, and Ra-Ra Thomas, Dominique Lovett from Missouri, an All-American tight end. And then you just look at their offensive line. I mean, it's just five star after five star. And mm. and then you throw on top of this, he's gonna have a great defense. Like people yeah. forget that Mike Bobo never had a great defense when he was at Georgia, averaging mm. three points per game, whatever year whatever year it was. He, he I mean the, <laughs> you know, it it always felt like it was if, you know, we, we would have to score with forty three points to win to an extent or um, you know, he just never had – he had good defenses, kind of hit or miss sometimes, but, man, it's just – on offense or defense, it's it's not the same. And so the players really are going to make it, I think, a lot easier for him. And he's already a great coach. 
developed a lot of really great quarterbacks and other positions that he's put in the NFL. And, and, um, but there is high expectation that comes with it. You're two time national champions and the name Bobo. It's funny. The name Bobo around Georgia, uh, is a polarizing name. I mean, yeah. it brings out a lot of emotion, good or bad. Um, what does and- it do for you? mostly good bad what is it for you yeah mostly good uh there are some ptsd moments getting ripped uh does he because he doesn't seem like that kind of guy is he kind of different as a coach is he would he surprise a lot of folks versus how he is in uh quarterback room meetings and things like that you say that he's not like that what do you mean he seems very low-key he seems very laid back he seems very like just I, I I don't know. I feel like he's completely different than 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 that with actually coaching uh, quarterbacks. He's, he's very intense. Very, okay. Um, very demanding. Mm. And I think you, as a 18 year old kid, it's a little bit shocking when you're coming out of high school because you know you're pampered and you're highly recruited and you go through yeah. this and, and everybody tells you how great it is and then you get to college and you're there's a de recruiting phase to it all. Mm. Um, and, you know, Coach Bobo, there's no doubt about him. He's intense, he's demanding, but he's a great coach. Um, and if you buy into his style and what he teaches and what he coaches, it works. Bottom line, it works. Uh, and you got, oh, you got guys like Aaron Murray and Matthew Stafford and D- D- David Green. And D- I mean, it, there's a lineage of of quarterbacks that he is in that system that, that he's developed. So he knows what he's doing. I think it's just about dropping your ego and, and being coachable and – focusing more on what you know what what they are saying not necessarily how they're saying it which is tough at times Mm. um but he the thing i always loved about coach bobo and i think the quarterbacks that are there now uh, can relate to this is he played the position and he played Mm. the position at that school being the quarterback at the university of georgia i would say in my opinion outside of maybe the governor and the coach at the university of georgia it is probably the third most uh and probably and maybe you could put the quarterback before the governor of mm. the, the most scrutinized position in the state of georgia yeah uh, because if you play good it's the greatest thing in in the in the world and if you play bad it's the worst thing in the world and it's it's the good and bad for your family too it's not just you yeah uh, your family feels it as well so i think that relatability and that that being able to sit in a room with him and and him know what you're going through if you had a bad game or him uh, being able to relate when you're on the mountaintop is all so important when you're dealing with the psychology of a 19, 20, and 21-year-old. Interesting. Um, in terms of UGA, where they're weak, something that I had pinpointed where I was like, I Tennessee wasn't scared of uh, Keely Ringo. That was something that was very clear. And Keely Ringo, multiple pass interference, he had that pick. Uh, but that was something that they wanted to attack is the secondary is it seems like the last couple of years if there was one thing i would circle and it's you're really you're really trying to find a needle in the haystack when it comes to finding uh limitations with georgia over the last two years but it seems like to me the the thing is what ohio state was able to find where if you're able to hold if you're able to give an elite quarterback time those re- receivers are going to find a way to get open. If you have some talented pass catchers, they are going. There is a weakness in the secondary with Georgia. Their front seven, best in the country. But it seems like on the back end, they could be uh, taken advantage of a little bit. Is that still the case in uh, year three, going into a possible three-peat, or do you see somewhere else as a more likely, maybe weak spot for Georgia in twenty twenty-three? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the position that you bring up is certainly a question mark going into the year. I mean, who's who's going to replace Keely Ringo? Mm. Uh, you know, you'll have Kamari Lasseter as, a, as one corner. Who's going to take over that other corner spot? I, I think when you look at anytime you lose a guy like Jalen Carter, mm. you know, that's another big question mark. Um, there's certainly guys at other positions that have played quite a bit. Uh, Starks at the safety position, what he did last year as a freshman was – Nothing short of just absolutely spectacular in the SEC and on big stages. You know, they're pass rushers. They had a couple freshmen play late in the year last year, and they kind of mix and match their outside linebackers and pass rushers. But um, I would say corner absolutely is a question mark, and you're right. I mean, Georgia's perceived weaknesses, air quote weaknesses, are not <laughs> not your typical weakness of a team or question marks going into yeah. the year. You know, they've got – it's crazy. They have, you know, three, four stars and three, five stars duking it out. But yeah. um, in terms of the experience, it, it, it really is a question mark at that corner spot. I, I think if there's anything that I, I think gives Georgia fits and really any defense fits, and I think you have to have this to to be able to go punch for punch with Georgia at this day and age and, and even the best in college football, is you got to have a mobile quarterback mm. uh, at Ohio State game last year. And, you know, a lot of those big-time plays that you're talking about, uh, in the secondary, came up on extended plays where C.J. Stroud was flushed out of the pocket. And mm. I don't care if you've got Darrell Revis or a primetime or an All-American corner. It's just too hard for a corner, any corner in college football, to cover a guy for 8, 9, 10-plus seconds. Mm. So if you're not getting that pass rush or you kind of lose your pass rushing integrity and a mobile quarterback can get outside the pocket and he's accurate outside the pocket, you can make – a secondary pay with big, big daggers, big explosive plays. And so I think that mobile quarterbacks are, are the new flavor of college football. If, if you've got a mobile quarterback, when I say mobile, I'm not necessarily talking about a, you know, four or five guy. I'm just talking about a guy that can keep defenses honest. He can pull the zone read. You know, he can, if nothing's open, he can scramble and get maybe eight or nine. Mm. Just somebody that, and if you got a guy more than that, then that's great. But somebody that is not Hudson Mason, you know, somebody that can move, that's not a statue in the pocket. No, you had it. You just didn't want to show it. You were, you wanted to be a pocket guy. You, yeah. you didn't want to take, you didn't want to show the wheels. You didn't yeah. want to do it. I always say I had four rushing touchdowns my senior year at Georgia, which I think was second in the SEC behind Dak Prescott uh, for rushing touchdowns. So yeah. I, in my my opinion, that makes me dual threat. Yes, uh, I mean many were saying you were kind of the the Dak of the East that yeah. season. Yeah. Uh, and so, and it's funny because Dak and I roomed together at the Manning Passing Academy. So really, yeah. So huh. um, obviously, his football career went a lot longer than than mine, and he's he's uh, you know playing it now. I'm talking about it, but, uh, but what, does that happen if y'all don't room together? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. But uh, anyways. Mobile quarterbacks is where it's at, man. Yeah. I mean, it certainly seems that way, especially like, I mean, if you look at, I mean, this past year, Max Duggan, JJ McCarthy, um, Stetson Bennett, way yeah. more mobile than people realize. And then uh, who am I blanking on? Oh, CJ Surratt, who can move around. Like four guys who can move around the pocket. No statues. Like you're not going to see many statue quarterbacks last. No. Uh, just really not that. Um, do you think, speaking of your playing career, Hudson, I'm curious as a Tennessee guy here, do you think you would have liked playing in Heupel's offense as a quarterback? Do you think oh, you would have enjoyed it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? I played in a version of it in high school, actually. Mm. Uh, 
I played in, you know, what I would call your air raid system. Um, mm. And I don't call hypos. I've had I had hypo uh, multiple times at UCF, so I'm very familiar with this system. Called several of his games. Um, I would not consider hypo's system air raid. Uh, yeah. I would call it a principle of the spread. But air raid, by definition, and really how it was created, was is Mike Leach. Yeah. Uh, is you know how mummy. It's um, you know I'm trying to think of some other uh, disciples of that. Art Bryles. Yeah, Art Bryles. Um, Tennessee runs the ball way more. Yep. They're way more effective at running the ball than those air raid offenses. Um, I think Tennessee had 39 rushing touchdowns last year. Yep. Have, uh, it's the perception of, hey, we're going to spread you out and we're going to throw it. Um, but Tennessee, and I think that one of the more underrated running games in the country, they run it and they run it effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just kind of the presentation that throws a lot of people off. It makes them think that there's some air raid offense, and they do. They throw it, but boy, they run it a lot more than the other air raid uh, air raid offenses. Like I played in high school, mm. they'll throw it on third and one, not, <laughs> yeah. uh, like one a pass plays coming out of your mouth. So that's not Tennessee's offense to me under hypo right now. So uh, back to your original question, like yeah, I I think any quarterback, and I think that's the that's the. Um, I think that is the interesting part. If I'm an 18-year-old kid coming out of high school again, if I was recruiting for Tennessee and I'm mm. going against Georgia in a, in a recruiting battle or Alabama, I would go into an 18-year-old kid's house and I would say, you can play in the SEC, you can have a chance to play on the highest stage, and I can almost guarantee you you're going to lead the country in passing. Yep. Like That would be my selling point to an 18-year-old kid. Come to Tennessee and play in the best conference in front of a hundred thousand and sell him on. I promise you, you're going to, you're going to have a chance to, if, if all goes well, be in New York mm. and, and you're going to possibly lead the country in passing. And as an 18 year old kid, that would be hard to not get googly eyed over because, you know, Georgia's not, can't come in and necessarily say that, um, mm. you know, and it's just a, it's a little bit of a scheme difference from those other teams. And so, uh, that's, I think any kid would love to play in it. I think it's still kind of TBD. Does that offense, is that the best offense to kind of prepare you for the next level? Um, I think that's still kind of to be determined. Yeah. But I don't think it's as much of a knock anymore on those offenses with the, with the way that the spread offense has evolved into the NFL and shotgun yeah. and you know, ten- it's really just the hashes, right? Like it's just the yeah. hash marks. It's like because of how spread out they are. That's the tough yeah. part. But I'm like, then it gets easier. That's hard. Like you know, yeah. throwing across the hash. Like that's not easy. Like that's not an easy thing. Yeah. So, um, I to answer your question, like yeah, I think any, I think I, I would have had a blast just. I think ripping it all over. You're just thinking about it. I can see the wheels are turning. You would have loved to play. This is going to make Georgia fans are like Hudson's over here fantasizing about playing an orange and white Heupel's offense and how much fun he would have. He would. You're the. You could have been Jake Merklinger, who's coming <laughs> in from Savannah, the the four star quarterback who's coming in the 2024 class. Yeah, we don't need another Georgia Bulldog making headlines talking about Tennessee football this week with uh, uh. what's his name <laughs> talking about uh, the best stadium in the SEC. So. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, throwing it around uh, at times sounds a little more enticing than all the toss sweeps to Gurley and Chubb. And <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Were you in – did you play Did you play in Neyland? Did you have a game in Neyland? No, we played tennis yeah. on my senior year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you never got to do it. Um, 
that would have been interesting because uh, yeah. it's it's an intimidating place it's a coliseum it's a it's a different kind of vibe yeah i think it's a phenomenal atmosphere i really do um mm. and i don't think saying that like you should be able to say that uh you know and not have your allegiance question you know mm. uh, i mean there's a lot of great stadiums in the sec and, and tennessee is one of them it's a hard place to play and um you know and and when i was there from 2010 to 2014 it's tennessee wasn't as good as they are now mm. uh, and so the environment was still good i don't think it was as great as as it was in the early 2000s and late 90s and certainly not what it was like last year so we we probably caught a little bit of a break not a huge break because you know it was still really tough to play but just the sure amount of people that they pack in there and here in rocky top you know every time tennessee gets a first down and <laughs> you know it's it is it's something tough, else now i'll tell you yeah. like it's it's gonna be bonkers and when georgia comes to town this november it's gonna be it's gonna be cold though i hate that they're playing this game late in the season now because yeah. i froze my tail off two years ago for that georgia tennessee game and i was dying like we're passing around hot pads or the little hot the hot hand stuff yeah. and the and i'm just like yeah. we're dying i they moving that game to late november was not fair it's brutal the weather's always going to be terrible in that game now apparently yeah. i know all the shake up in the uh in the schedules and things like yeah. that like that's going to look a lot different over the next year or two uh final question for you here hudson Hooker to Milton, you you've seen this offense now for the last couple of years. You talked about how like there's just something where when I like calm Tennessee fans' nerves about like where the season's going to go and um, the transition from Hendon Hooker to Joe Milton and what Hendon Hooker really meant to this team. And they're just completely different quarterbacks. Hendon Hooker was a machine, an efficient machine, always making the right play. He was willing to take off significantly more than Joe Milton was. And Joe Milton to this point, it's kind of. I mean, he ran out of bounds against Ole Miss. He has some of the stuff where you're just like, I don't know how he's going to react in Gainesville in week three. That's going to be the big test of where this Tennessee season is going is what does Joe look like in the swamp when um, he's the guy, it's his show again, this is it, all the pressure's on him. And now he has a five-star, just true freshman, the number one player in the class behind him and an easily chantable name, Nico. And you know how Tennessee fans are. They are waiting. They want to see Nico Iamaliava on the field sooner rather than later. I am very curious from your vantage point. Do you think Joe will work out? Do you bit like, do you, have you seen enough to be like, I think Hypel just, his system is just too good now and too high of a floor where they're going to be a top 10 offense. Even if Joe's kind of shaky that yep. the floor is so high because he's a top 10 offense machine over and over and over again. Or do you think there is a chance that there is a significant drop off from Hinden Hooker to Joe Milton? Um, I will say, you know, I would be a lot more worried if I didn't get to see Joe play against Clemson in the bowl game. Hmm. Um, and I had the I had the unique uh, opportunity and chance to watch Joe play two years ago during COVID when he was hmm. the star. yeah get that that Joe was actually the original yes. star hypo and then got benched. And I remember Joe uh, in 2020 mightily struggling with accuracy problems. Yeah. And I know Tennessee fans remember that as well. And I think that is like, if you're saying, Hey, the biggest difference in their games, and maybe the one thing that uh, Joe uh, or excuse me, Hendon thrived at was just being accurate and ball yep. play. A complete 70% of your passes in the sec at that level is stupid. Good. Yep. And I don't think it got talked enough about and, 
Um, and Lenore deep balls. It wasn't like he was only hitting intermediate stuff. Right. Like that was the thing. He's completing seventy percent of the passes, and Hype will take right. deep shots. And so I went back and looked at Joe's stats that year. He started in twenty twenty the first couple games, and he had like a hundred and ten or one hundred twenty pass attempts. And he only completed like fifty five percent, and that's just mm. not, um, that's just not going to cut it. No. SEC, you've got to be far more accurate than that. And so I, I think that's the question for me is, and, and he looked good. It looked like he's improved on his accuracy uh, against Clemson. Played mm. really well. And so I just go back to that. I go, man, if that's a glimpse of the new Joe Milton, I think Tennessee fans should be really encouraged about the growth that he's that he's made over the past two years. Uh, and I think a lot of it is mechanical. I think a lot of it is, is just confidence in where guys are going to be now in this system year mm. one still kind of like uh i think that's where the ball's supposed to go <laughs> yeah. you know, now you're like that's where it's supposed to go uh, yeah and so i i hope that i think for tennessee to win 10 plus games again to win 11 games or to even be able to push georgia i think they need joe milton i i, I think it's hard to expect a young freshman to come in and to thrive and be the guy uh, in this conference, especially when you're going to see Alabama and Georgia on your schedule uh, yeah. every year. I agree. Um, well, there you go, Hudson. I, I tend to agree. And I think the biggest thing too is like, or maybe the most under-talked about thing with Hypo's scheme is that like, they don't throw picks. Like you go through Gil- Dylan Gabriel, Hendon, even the Joe, like Hen- Joe had 10 TDs, no picks last year in his appearances. Like Guys just don't no. throw picks. He makes sure that like you are holding onto the ball. Like Tennessee is going to do well in the turnover margin. Like if you yeah. fumble, you're out. Like it's immediate. Like you okay. may you miss an assignment. Like Dylan Sampson missed a block in the LSU game. True freshman missed a block. Hendon got murdered, and that was it. We didn't see Dylan Sampson for weeks. Like that, you're out. Like that's a quick thing. You turn the ball over, Hypel won't allow it. Like yeah. he's just it, he's an assassin that way. Like we're gonna kill you with tempo, but also. We're not going to turn the ball over. Like that's yeah. just not going to happen. Hudson, this has been great. I'm so uh, I'm so grateful that you were able to uh, make the time here tonight. Um, this is a lot of fun. We can watch you on Six Eight the Fan. We can listen to you on Six Eight the Fan in the locker room uh, every morning, six to ten a.m. Monday through Friday. We got games coming up. Before you know it, are you ready to hit hit the road again this fall? Yeah, I, uh, it's funny because. You know, from uh, September to December, I travel every weekend, and by the yeah. end of college football, I'm like, I don't want to see an airport for, <laughs> for, for you know, a year. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I got my eight months off from football, and then about this time, once July Fourth is over, boy, the itch is just like, mm-hmm. oh, and then, uh, and then I'm like, okay, cool, I'm ready to travel again, ready to get back in the stadium. So it's that time of year where training camps right around the corner. I know everybody's starting to feel it. And uh, I get excited because there's nothing better to me in the world than than, uh, college football, but specifically in the SEC. I like it. Hudson, thank you so much for the time. We'll have to check back in again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chase. All right, hello. Welcome back to Chase Stone's Podcast. Taping this on a Tuesday evening. First timer from Jackets Online. It's Kelly Quinlan. Kelly, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I got something for you. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I, I had one of those. I lost it in the Hartsfield Jackson Airport because I left it in my bag and I was flying out of town oh. the next week for an away game and I had to just leave it at the uh, TSA checkpoint. So. 
man that's tough it's my late grandfather's uh he went to tech and actually this is a good segue kelly last name dodd diehard georgia tech fan there you go but for some reason georgia tech wants to change bobby dodd stadium um (laughs) kelly what is happening here is it going to be hyundai is it going to be lexus of atlanta also at bobby dodd stadium at the flats are they going to try and do this weird combination thing like what is actually true and what are you hearing on the naming rights front here so they've been looking for uh basically revenue sources um you know they've had a rough few years with with obviously COVID impacting kind of everybody in terms of their bottom lines and then the lovely Jeff Collins experiment that sapped away a, a chunk of attendance for football, the main revenue sport. And they're paying him between seven and $12 million to go away, depending on how you interpret his contract and, and what's going on there. So um, yeah, they've just been in tight spot. They fired the AD, uh, Todd Stansberry. Finances have been always kind of an issue. Georgia tech, they have a lot of debt um, mm. and, they just need to find some new ways to, to raise money. This is a, a easy one because it really involves very little other than putting some signage up on the stadium and irritating um, certain parts of the fan base a little bit. But it's free money, right? Like if you're getting million to $3 million to put some branding on your stadium that you don't even really have to pay for, it seems like easy money at a time where they, they could use some a cash injection until they get on their feet with – with football and, and men's basketball, for that matter. So do you think it happens, ultimately? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I heard about this a while ago, um, mm. and I wasn't sure exactly what the deal was. I had kind of caught wind that something was going down mm. and just kind of forgot about it. And then I think around July 1st was when it was supposed to be like announced, announced, and mm. it, it's been pushed back a little bit. But my understanding is like it got leaked for a reason um, mm. to the to AJC. So I think it was a way of getting it out there. And, and so people would be so surprised when there's a formal announcement very soon. Who do you think it's going to be? Do you know? Uh, uh, Hyundai. Is it? Um, so Hyundai is going to, it is going to be Hyundai. Yeah. And uh, it makes sense. They're opening a giant plant down in the Savannah area. Hmm. They're trying to get more involved. They own part of Kia. Kia is a huge plant. In, Columbus, right? In the Columbus area. Yep. And so it's kind of surprising. I think people don't understand some of these deals. Like everyone's like, why isn't it Porsche or BMW Mm. or Ford or whatever? It's about people who want to are trying to build their brand or whatever. And and it's part of a larger project with Georgia Tech, as I understand it, in terms of they're wanting to have a presence on campus. There's a thing called Tech Square Mm. on on Tech's campus that has all these Fortune 500 companies and Everyone's trying to kind of tap into the student body and build kind of that bridge. And I think this is one way they can do it. The school president was involved in all of this. So I, I think that um, it's a cool deal. They need money. You know, it's right now. Yeah. Every, you know, you think about it too with NIL coming up, um, everyone's kind of changing how they're funneling their money, right? Like, and it's going more towards people wanting to support that as a direct thing and maybe not donate as much. So you have a lot of different, you can't really necessarily hit up your base for money again. And they've done a lot, right? Because everyone was out raising money during COVID. They just did a um, competitive drive initiative where they were funding scholarships. That was, so there's three sort of main budget issues and two of them were, you know, the debt, the debt service for Georgia tech. And then the second one is scholarships. Mm. That's something people don't think about is the cost of attendance and those things. And it's not free. 
So you, they pay, you're paying $10, $12 million or whatever it was a year towards scholarships. They've been able to eat away at that too. So all of that creates more more free money for them to to invest back into the product. The budget keeps getting bigger every single year. It's gone up almost $20 million in the last three years. So, you know, the money's got to come from somewhere. It's not just coming from the ACC network. That hasn't been the financial windfall that, that maybe people expected. Interesting. Um, when you look at Brinkey and what's already changed from the time Jeff Collins uh, was roaming the sidelines in July of last year to now, what have you noticed is the biggest difference between this being Brent Key's program versus Jeff Collins' program? There's very little artifice, very little, hmm. you know, coddling of people. Very, There's not music at practice. Like, every day they had a DJ when Jeff Collins was a coach, whether it was huh. an actual DJ early on and later they had someone on the staff assigned to play DJ every day. And they had theme days you know, Techno Tuesday, I think it was, or Techno Third, one of those. Like, every day there was, like, music. Every day, all during practice, right? And it was sort of this... It wasn't very professional, would be the way that I could nicely say it. Um, mm. That was how it was. Brent Key's all about work. Brent Key played for Georgia. Larry coached under him. Mm. Worked for Nick Saban at Alabama for many years. He's not suffering fools. He's an O-line coach. Those guys are not going to be into doing hip cool stuff <laughs> they want to play football and mm. greg key's philosophy is if it doesn't help win football games i'm not super interested in it unless it's like involving the kids and you know them needing something or whatever but outside of that he really just wants to coach ball mm. and it's the opposite i mean jeff collins had a clothing line for crying out loud <laughs> to watch like i didn't know that yeah the 404 denim line it's a notorious joke on our website that we bring up <laughs> When they were talking about naming the stadium, a joke that they could use that mm. the, month, the proceeds from that could be used to to pay for uh, instead of you know giving the naming rights away from the stadium. But yeah, and there, mm. there all these like harebrained schemes and like different things, that they, and there just was no winning, so you can't mm. really create any buzz in the city. They had a little bit of buzz the first year, and then it kind of died away. Mm. And so, yeah, Brent's just about coaching ball. He wants to win football games. He wants to make a tough team. And instilling that and having very little time for, for shenanigans. Who leads quarterback one? Is it Haynes King? Is it somebody else? Like, I think a lot of people probably assumed it was going to be Haynes King. So this is one of my favorite things that's been going on for the uh. last six months. Haynes King came from Texas A&M, right? Mm. Zach Pyron was the starting quarterback at the end of last season before he got mm. hurt in Miami and knocked out for the year. Zach Pyron was a higher rated recruit. They're one year apart out of high school and somehow that's turned into Haynes King should be handed this job mm -hmm. and Zach Pyron's team right now. And he would be QB one. Now, is there going to be a competition? Yeah. Haynes King would be the first to tell you that his, he was not put in a position he feels like to be successful by Jimbo Fisher hmm. and was not developed in the way that he would, he would like to have been as a coach's kid. He's got work to do. Like it is, if Zach Pyron has a little bit of a lead in the clubhouse right now, now could that change in fall camp? I guess I would say that, you know, Pyron showed in his games last year that he was really capable of leading this team. And so it's his, they got beat him out at this point. Mm. That's where it's at. And all of the media seem to be really fascinated with this idea that 
Well, they got all these guys from Texas A&M and they're going to walk in and start or the guys from Georgia or Alabama or whatever. That's not really the case. you got to earn it. And so, you know, do I think Dominique Blaylock will start wide receiver, the kid they got from Georgia? Yeah, mm-hmm. probably. But, um, you know, Chase Lane maybe from A&M. I don't know that Haynes King will start. I don't know that Andre White, the linebacker they got from A&M, will be the starting linebacker at the end of the season. So there's a lot of um, expectations when you take transfers and people mm-hmm. – automatically assume that AM was this great program and they've had talent. But if you kind of look around and dig into it a little bit, like Haynes King really struggled when he was playing mm. quarterback. I watched him play a game against Sam Houston state, who was not very mm. good and struggled, like struggled horribly He was playing against the whole reason I watched the game was it was, I think one of the first games that Jordan Yates, the former Georgia tech quarterback was playing yeah. was home that day. And I decided to watch the game cause I wanted to see how Jordan did. And it was like a battle of attrition between the two of them, like because Jordan was struggling because AM had a good defense, and Haynes King was struggling because the offense was so bad at AM. So, you know, I, I I just feel like there's going to be it's going to be a slow burn to see kind of who wins that job. And I, you know, I'm very much against this idea that like someone's just going to walk in with Brent Key and, and have a job. And that's certainly not been the way that uh, quarterbacks coach Chris Winkie, who's also the co-offensive coordinator approaches all of this he's he's very close to zach and very close to haynes and he wants them to compete and the best guy wins the job well you mentioned uh chris so when you look at chris because uh as a obviously a, you guys know a lot about him yeah i mean we do know a lot about chris Winkie. i also know a lot about buster faulkner because i'm a parkview alum oh, uh, okay. kelly so i've known uh about buster faulkner for a very long time and now he is um, co-offensive coordinator with Chris Winkie. Who's calling plays? Has that been decided? Buster's, Buster's, Buster's okay. the offensive coordinator. And, and, you know, there's always like a guy that the, you know, whether it's Tony Elliott or Clemson or whatever, mm-hmm. there's these co-coordinator situations, usually one guy. So Buster's calling the offense and Andrew Thacker's calling the defense, even though they have co-court because they have Kevin Shearer. Yeah. Who you also know yes. <laughs> as the ODC <laughs> and linebackers coach. So yeah, there's, yeah. Those are the two. The two play callers are Buster and 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 Andrew Thacker, who's been the defense coordinator for a minute at Georgia Tech. Well, I think that's also the part of the reason that people aren't handing Zach Pyron the job, right? Is because it's going to be a little bit different than what they were running last year, right? Like, there's going to be some differences here, and it's a it like. Have you already seen some early changes, and what has Buster kind of tipped his hand on? Like, what's going to look different about Georgia Tech offensively than what we've seen the last couple of years under Jeff Collins? So I think it makes a little more sense, actually. They were really geared towards Jeff Sims and his ability to run mm. the last few years and and running a lot of trying to run read option, trying to run stuff to get him isolated in space and then using the running backs that they, they had a decent stable of that are now in the NFL. Mm. And this is more about getting guys in space and getting them the ball, whether it's Christian Leary, the kid they got from Alabama, or Malik Rutherford. Those are your two slot guys. Mm. Nick Blaylock, Leo Blackburn, who the whole receiver room is different. Like, can you go through in the, the manual? Sure, and I'm so just he, like, yeah, this is yeah. all different. I don't even know. Like, Jordan Tech is just going to have a whole new wide receiver room. Everybody's new. So, yeah. So, um, Leo Blackburn, who was probably their best receiver, missed most of last year with a wrist injury and torn mm-hmm. his ACL, tore his other ACL in the spring. And he might be back. You know, you can't necessarily count on him. They lost all of their main outside receivers and slot guys that mm. were other than Malik Rutherford. So they have three transfers. Their older kids have come into the program. 
Abdul Janay, who's a kid from Duquesne, who's a big body wide receiver, Dominique Blaylock from Georgia, who was playing a lot there and had some injury problems in the past. And then Chase Lane, who's a kid from AM that mm. had played well there and just kind of suffered from the mediocre offense there. Those three guys jump in. They have uh, several younger guys. DJ Moore's one that's going to play a lot. And then the slot, Malik Rutherford played last year when Nate McCollum got hurt. Nate McCollum transferred to North Carolina and to play with um, what's his name, um, Drake May. Yeah, and and so Malik can handle that role, and Christian Leary and him will kind of trade off in that slot spot. So I think there's you know a lot of young talent. They have two young freshman receivers. They're really excited about Bailey Stockton's a walk on actually. That's hmm. Under Stockton's brother, and then really, um, oh, there's the connection with Buster because Buster yeah. Buster was the Lake Raven. Yeah, 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 there you go. And then um, the other one is um, Eric Singleton, who's like a track mm. guy that can just fly. Yeah. So they have a lot of guys, but it's funny. I went back and like pulled literally. I think yesterday, maybe I was kind of discussing with someone on a message board, and it was like pulling the career receptions or whatever, and all of them are not at Georgia Tech. Mm. Like. Um, and, you know, even the tight end position is a lot different. So I think, you know, it's going to – no one, I think, really knows what to expect. And it's year one, and it's new coordinators, a tweak of the offense. To answer your question about Buster, what they're going to do, is it's all about trying to get playmakers the ball in space. Mm. So a lot of the concepts are same, the same in terms of offense. Everyone's running the spread and running similar formations and things. It's more about how you create mismatches and, and getting the ball – to your guys and that's what Zach Pyron is. Zach Pyron's not a guy that's gonna tuck it and run it twenty mm-hmm. times a game. He's a he can he's shifty, but he's not fast. Like he's not neither is Haynes King. So like they're gonna be more of a traditional offense with those two guys. And the one spot on the offense that is a little more consistent and should be improved is offensive line. So I think that sort of bodes well. They have a, a decent stable of running backs. So I think they they have a chance. It's just going to come down to the receiver position. It's not been a real strength other than the slot guys um, really since Paul Johnson left. Which is so weird to think about in retrospect. It's a, <laughs> the, the golden era. Guy put all these guys in the NFL at wide receiver that are making a ton of money, yeah. Yeah, it's just um... – yeah, I, you know what, Sneaky? I, I really hope I, it will never happen. But if I was Northwestern, I would hire Paul Johnson yesterday. You know what's weird is they've outlawed so much of the blocking now. Yeah, because Monken's really not even difficult. doing it anymore in Army. Yeah, Monken, Bohan, and at Kennesaw State, they've had to really tweak what yeah. they do because they've outlawed all the cut blocking rules, yeah. and so that that sort of negates. And that's part of you. To be honest with you, is something that Paul Johnson and I discussed quite a bit in his mm-hmm. later years. He was getting more and more frustrated. Is he had to keep redesigning what they were doing and blocking because of these rule changes for player safety. And, and at our level, watching it every week, I never really saw anyone get – the only guy I ever saw get seriously hurt was a dude who pulled himself into a cut block in the bowl game against Kentucky in 2016 on, like, New Year's Eve. Mm. This defensive lineman did something really stupid and, like, pulled, pulled a guy in to basically cut him. And ch- they chop-blocked him. Because hmm. when he pulled the guy, it created a chop block. He got hurt. And that was like his own doing. And it was inside, which is still legal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, like I just never saw what they were talking about. And everyone was still doing it with their screens and everything else. And it was just a, kind of a weird fixation of, of uh, some rules, uh, rules guys. But 
obviously I think now, um, you know, I think maybe it's the Mike Leach offense. Is that your version mm-hmm. of what the triple option is now? And, and if you're a, a team that cannot recruit enough talent to consistently win, or you don't feel like you can, is that the way you go? Or that Jamie Chadwell, really like what Jamie yeah. Chadwell doing is probably some so that's of that. the evol- Jamie's offense is the evolution of, of it. Right. Like, um, that was who I wanted tech to hire. I, you know, to me, like, it's interesting going back on it. Like he was, if Paul Johnson left tomorrow, if he'd, he had just retired, that mm-hmm. would have made a ton of sense. Right. Like, yeah. When Paul retired, the guy actually wanted them to hire, which was ironic at the time, was Willie Fritz. Yeah. Fritz had had experience doing that. Mm. He was a guy that was willing to go hire whatever kind of offensive coordinator. He was not married to any kind of offense. Did he run it at Southern? Yeah. So they ran, he yeah. ran the transition out of it. They started yeah. into the pistol and, mm. and they adapted from, um, from what they were running with him and with the, I think, I guess it was after Munkin left um, mm. to go to Army. And he was just a guy that experienced doing it. And if you were going to transition away, it made more sense to hire a guy that ex- successfully done that versus hiring, you know, a guy who's going to bring in an offensive coordinator who's not a P5 guy that was his buddy. Yeah. Um, man, just the whole, like, there's all kinds of what ifs going down so many different college sure. football. Programs. I mean, what if they hire a real defensive coordinator when Paul Johnson got hired? They cheaped out and hired the cheapest defensive coordinator they could find. And then fired him and then hired the cheapest defensive coordinator to find in Al Grow because he was getting an offset from Virginia. And that everyone thought that was a great move instead of hiring the guy that Paul wanted. And um it's a there's a ton of these like situations historically with especially Georgia Tech, like, you know, like what if they do this, what if they do that? The same thing with men's basketball there. They had yeah. an opportunity to hire Jamie Dixon when Paul Hewitt got fired and Chose Brian Gregory who's getting run out of Dayton. Like, there's a lot of, uh, and you can go through any school and, and find that yeah. in a lot of places. I mean, just obviously, you know, Tennessee <laughs> has well, we plenty don't. of. Them. Well, we. Oh, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you mean, Kelly. It's, <laughs> everything's been smooth sailing over here. I don't. Uh, I don't know what you mean, sir. It's been. We've had a bunch of normal uh, head How coaching searches. They had since Fulmer, um, uh, Kiffin, Dooley, Butch, Pruitt, and now Heupel. Yeah, so that was a long yeah. way to go around and, and basically like what, twelve years or something like that? Yeah, oh nine, oh eight. So what is that? Something like that. Fifteen, yeah. So about fifteen, yeah. Yeah, it took you that took them that long to figure it out. I mean All right, this is not funny. a roast for the Tennessee volunteers, no, Kelly. No, no, this no. is not I, a roast. Because like all these people are always excited to see you know, it's like they want to run a coach off or whatever. Yeah. So one thing I kept telling everyone when people started to get a little weary of coach Johnson and what he was doing. It was like, watch, like it could be 10 times worse. And they found the guy that would literally did the worst possible job with it. Yeah. Managing that transition and managing expectations and managing a roster. And then he had a perfect storm of stuff go wrong with, with the program. He had two kids die. I mean, it was literally like as bad as it could get. It was like they were cursed Mm -hmm. and you know, Brett Key is now going to try to spin out of it. It's the only way Brett Key could have become the head coach at Georgia Tech without going somewhere and being a, a head coach somewhere else before. So it's it's a super weird situation. And and obviously, um, you should never know. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, and it, we just talked about Fulmer, right? It worked out. He was in a weird situation where he took over as an interim coach. And, and I think Lane would have worked out long term, but Lane took Lane, the one Lane job. Lane can't help himself. That's Lane's yeah. problem. You know, like Lane's always. Yeah. I think looking at the next move and 
that's gonna I think be he's mellowed out now. I think he's different. I I think he's you wanted that true. Auburn job. I think, man. I don't I think, think so. I think he would have taken. I don't. I don't know. Maybe he did. I I don't know. I think he's he's chilling, man. His kids are growing up. He's. I don't know. I think he's. I don't know. I like Lane. I I think Lane is he's a great offensive mind. Yeah. Um. What is uh? We'll end here, um, okay. Kelly. When we look at recruiting, because like. One of the things, obviously, with Tennessee, like we're fighting for our lives to stay in the top ten in the uh, on three cycle and two four seven and rivals and everywhere else. Where I'm just, I, I refresh every day. Where I'm looking and I'm keeping up. And like you and I were both in the weeds for different programs. But um, one of the things that is common is I'm looking at Tech and I'm like, oh, hey, they got a four star receiver. Hey, they're doing this. Hey, they're they're doing this because I think a lot of people were wondering about like what Brent Key would do on the recruiting trail, how he would handle things. I like their staff. I like how they're going about it. I like who they're targeting and looking at their group. Um, do you think this is going to be a top 25 class once the 2024 cycle is complete? Where do you th- do you think that's a sustainable range somewhere in that 15 to 25 in this modern NIL era for tech? Or do you think this is just a slight bump? Like where, where is tech going to be over the next couple of years in NIL with Brink Key and company? So I think it just depends on how many kids they take. This is a, a cycle hmm. where they have a huge group of seniors and then they have like 28 juniors and like half of those kids are going to be kids that have graduated because of COVID or just have you know redshirted or whatever. And, and the ones who aren't playing are going to move along. Some are going to go to the NFL in that group too. So they're able to take a huge class this cycle. So that's changing a little bit. Mm. Um, I, you know, I think it's between – 20 and 35 is should be the goal and it should be you know there's going to be some years where it's a little off balance because you're not going to take 20 guys and so it's the formula or the average stars or however you want to look at it and then also you know how much they use the portal and, and trying to backfill a few spots here and there so i think that's where the i think that's the range you want to be in in the combined rankings mm-hmm. um you know, if you can be in 20 to 35, I think you're in, in good company there. I think that puts you in the top half of the ACC and should have you competitive to to go to Charlotte and play for championships um, on a semi-regular basis again. As long as the Which, ACC uh, exists. Yeah, you know, from what, 20, from 2006 to 2016, they were pretty consistently yeah. either winning their division or in second place, right? And so the, the roadmap's there. It's been there through multiple coaches. So I think, you know, then you get into what what's going to happen with the ACC. I have my own theories about all this that are way different than what everyone else is saying because I'm looking at the business side of everything and, and what's going on with the networks. And I kind of know some things that I've heard from people at work at certain four-letter networks. And there's no money to expand, right? Mm-hmm. The SEC just stayed at eight games because – their television partners refuse to pay more money for another mm. game. And why are they going to pay for Clemson and Florida state when they already have Clemson and Florida state locked up yeah. in the ACC till 2036. There's zero incentive for ESPN to move that. And they lose inventory. If they move that, mm. you have all these teams tied into lower paying deals. If you had four ACC teams move to say the SEC or whatever, like North Carolina, Virginia, um, Clemson, and Florida state, that's the difference in what they would have to pay them and just bumping up the ACC a little bit is huge, right? Cause you're talking about 400, half a billion, half a billion dollars mm. instead of paying maybe 250 million more over, you know, four or five years 
to an entire conference. You know what I would do? Way more games. What would you do? I I saw this, like, I guess it was a month or two ago while we were waiting for the Pac-12 to announce a TV deal. I would, I love, because geography doesn't matter anymore, I would combine the Pac-12 and the ACC. If I so was, we AAC, joked about that too. Yeah, it would be great because it's not like you have to. People are like, oh, the travel. It's like no, you can break it up where the one side of the country plays them, they play their the the other side of the country plays on that side, and then they just meet in the conference title game, and you maybe do one or two cross like country games. That solves so many problems for both schools and both the, both conferences. The great the games would be great. The fans would enjoy that. I would do that yesterday. If I'm Jim Phillips, I am thinking big picture, and I'm like, that would be so much, mu- so much fun. I think the Big Twelve is not going anywhere, and then we have like a Power Four. Like that, that's that would be awesome. I would do that today. That is my favorite expansion idea: is combining those two. I mean, I would enjoy it. I enjoy going to the West Coast. I enjoy mm-hmm. watching some of those teams. I like watching. It would be more interesting for me to watch those games right when you get home late at night yeah. um, to sit and watch. You know, tech I'm Washington State. I would love a weird tech in Pullman on a Saturday night. That'd be fun. Yeah, like yeah, and and then also like you would wa- want to watch some of those games. Like I have no interest in watching, you know, Cal and and Utah. Like yeah, am I gonna really? I, you know, I might put it on in the background while I'm doing other stuff on a Saturday night. But if it was an ACC game, yeah, I'd probably watch it. I mean, I watch SEC and ACC games all the time that I don't care that much about. Yeah, um, it would probably suck more people on the East Coast into it, where football is a bigger deal. And if you can make the money work, that's what will make as much as Clemson and Florida State and some of those teams would like to jump. It's all about money, right? And yeah. if they get a chance to be the kings of their thievedom in the ACC, they would be happy to stay if the money works. I don't, mm. I don't think, and I think Texas will be the great litmus test for all of this. I grew up; my parents went to UT. Mm. the texas the oh the ut austin and, not ut, yes, UT I, I didn't know what you meant by the ut because I, I i only know of one real ut so you gotta specify <laughs> so they so my parents went to school graduate school there and mm. my dad taught there and as you spend a lot of summers there mm. and so i followed that program for many years they are in for the rudest of awakenings walking into the sec like mm-hmm. like them in oklahoma made a huge mistake in my opinion like I think Oklahoma is in more league. of a rude awakening than Texas. Oklahoma tells me Oklahoma is going to get crushed early on. I don't think it's going to go well when they make the move. I mean, even if Sark does a great job, you're still in that. They couldn't, they were not winning that league. The league. Was no, not that this big. is it, by the way, this is a huge CFP year. Like it's wide open. The big 12 is on a silver platter for them. Like they should be a CFP like contender in late November. Like yeah, if they no, don't do it this year, they blew it. Cause it's going to be, insanely difficult next year and the next couple of years. Yeah, and so you start looking at all that. Look at AM. That's the roadmap, right? AM was winning yeah. in the Big Twelve and then they go to SEC and they've had two good seasons, like in SEC and that's it. And they would have with some of the teams they've had the team they had last year would have probably won pretty big in the in the Big Twelve. So you know I'm fascinated by all this. I think that I hate that we've gone away from this. I wish the conferences would shrink down to what they were 20 years ago like and it's just not happening we're not it's not going to happen because of the money not yeah. yet anyways i do think if tv trends and all that stuff continues to go the same way we may see a a contraction of things yeah. versus maybe even the super league because again no one wants to watch minor league sports so like yeah. if you turn into a super league that i think you're defeating what makes college football so awesome and 
you know, I mean, people want to watch, you know, Tennessee fans want to play Vanderbilt. They want to play South Carolina. They don't want to well, play. We want to play Vanderbilt. We don't really enjoy that. Wisconsin. Just, yeah. Well, you don't want to play Vanderbilt when you lose to them, but I mean, yeah, you, you get fired. You lose to Vanderbilt, you get fired, but no yeah. one really in, goes into that game looking forward to it. It's like, Oh, Vanderbilt could be ball eligible. And like her curvature, given that it's like 56, nothing on that Saturday. <laughs> like it's just not, it's not a real thing. It's not a, it's not a game we really look forward to. Uh, I can go or ahead Kentucky and tell you that. Or whatever. Like all of those, yeah. well, not those a, games start going right away, too. man. Yeah. Like it's, that's what kills it because that's what people love man yeah they don't want to go to college station and watch them play or wherever they don't care about that there's no you know going to norman once would be cool no one's going to want to go to norman every other year if you're a, a ball fan no kelly this has been great i appreciate uh, you making the time tonight to talk all things georgia tech go check out jacketsonline.com if you have not already done so go join rival site and keep up with tech who might be a top 25 team this year and might be fun and there's parpy legends galore and all kinds of georgia connections so it's gonna be good listen to my guy joe ham calling it like it's it's all good the the vibes are good at georgia tech right now no music but vibes are good kelly thank you so much and uh, we'll have to do this again soon yeah no problem thanks nicely done nephew Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 